Alright guys, what's up? We're back. It's the Shetler Show. Um, today we got Jeff Blayman from Ideal Skate Shop. Say what up. What's going on, man? How are you? Hell yeah. Um, we're going to get into the commercials real quick, get them out of the way, and then we're just going to kind of get into some skate talk and all types of talk about life skating and everything. We just had a rad day today. So um, yeah, first commercial is Solse or Advertisement. I don't know what the fuck it is. But uh, All I Need Skateboards, which... Uh, we're just hyped. We got a Nick Dompierre guest pro model dropping um, any day now, along with a Narragansett beer um, collab deck, which Paul Francis Lambert did all the artwork. Good homie, and everything is looking awesome. So I'm excited to get those out there. Um, we got new beanies embroidered coming, t shirts, all types of stuff. So you can check out All I Need Skate on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and the website's All I Need Skate too. So simple, easy. Please check it out. We put our heart into it. So. Definitely hyped if you guys check it out. And then Solstice Skate Shop. 17 years deep. As Jeff knows, that's no easy feat. Oh, they've been around a long time. Yeah. Having a skate shop, you got to really love it. So, uh, JV, my hat's off to you. 17 years just keeping a skate scene alive and growing it and just changing people's lives. So check them out. New Bedford, Mass. Solstice Skate Shop. And also No Problemos right there. Mexican restaurant, skater on skater run. Check it out. It's good, 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 good. I like um, that Nick had the hot sauce that came with the shoes. Yeah, so rad. It was tight. Um, Piva said I could have a hot sauce, but I had to get the artwork done, and I've kind of slacked. But he said I could have the green because yeah. he has the red. So I was like, that's fucking genius. That's awesome. And then he was like, you should have, because Nick's was a skeleton of his mm -hmm. face, like the sugar, what is it, the sugar skull or whatever, the... Um, he was saying do that but have me with a beanie on holding my dog because yep. I have a long haired dachshund so it would be perfect for the, the green sauce that'd be cool um, yeah so if you're ever in the New Bedford area check it out awesome shop everyone kills it um, yeah today we have Jeff and Jeff uh, has been in the skateboard scene for a long ass time because we were just watching oh, wow. Skater Island footage which is Oh, man, I don't even... When's the last time... When did that close? Do you remember? Um, I just know that was probably like 98, 99 right there. That My we God. Yeah. yeah, we were watching Trembly and a little Akeel on there, and just like the footage made me want to... It made me want to cry a little bit. I ain't going to lie. Just thinking about the fucking times I had there. How did you... Let's, let's just get into it at Skaters Island. How did you... What was your connect there? Um... Let's do this. I, if it's cool, I'll take it back even further. So, like, uh, please do. Back in the day, like, let's see, uh, growing up in uh, southeastern Connecticut, like, uh, a bunch of us, uh, a lot of people that you know too, like the Donnie Barleys, the Judd Hertzlers, the Brian Andersons. Yes, Judd um, was the man. Absolutely. I, I don't know him personally, but I know his skating foundation. He was yeah, killing fantastic it. Fantastic yeah. artist too. He had like a board on unbelievers. He's no shit. Good. Yeah, Judd was great. Um, well, also, too, like, uh, I grew up skating at the Playground Skate Park, which was owned by Bruna Da Silva and her son, Tony Da Silva, who was a foundation dude. Yeah. And uh, at that point in time... He you know, actually, I believe, sorry to cut you off, yeah. but I believe Tony is working with America? I'm not sure. That'd Social awesome. media manager, maybe? Yeah. I've seen him somewhere, and I'm pretty sure that's what he was doing. Yeah, he, he was always just super talented, super personable. He was a great ambassador for the park. Some skate park kids are bullshit, you know, like as we've learned over the years. Even with Skater Island, Ed Hall really wasn't the best kid as like the owner's kid to have there as like, but like, you know, Tony fucking rocked it. He was like such a good dude. That's um, right. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that I always thought was kind of neat about um, th that place was like it was such a breeding ground like there was Upson there was Greco there was Gagney there was Damien Silva there was this kid Froggy there was just random dudes that came through all the time so like the, the playground was like a great place so I kind of came up through there 
Um, Where actually, was the playground located? Wallingford, I believe uh, it was. Uh, and a lot of the kids used to skate street in New Haven. That was like the street spot. I've been to New Haven. It's sick. Yeah. That was definitely a good time. So like that was kind of like the impetus, the beginning of like skating and getting involved beyond the driveway, ollieing over broomsticks, you know, like that yeah. beginning phase. So we used to always go to the playground. I got to know all those guys over the years and grow up with all those dudes. Um, and then so uh, I guess over the course of time, like uh, uh, kind of this interesting phase is like we used to go to um, Tupai, which was in Warwick, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we used to go to the Skater's Edge that was originally on Knight Street in Warwick before there was ever a Skater's Edge in Taunton. Yeah. It was like three mini ramps in a room. There was a kid, Andy, who used to skate there. His mom owned that place. Um, but we used to skate those places. Um, we used to go to the, the Bristol Skate Park, go to CT Bike and Skate a lot back in the day. It was like the dustiest, dirtiest skate park. I think it still is. But yeah. it's cool that they've been around forever, man. Like, they're, God bless those dudes. Like, they've kept it alive, which is crazy. Um, so, but, uh, like, I, I always like to tell stories about, like, how, like, moments change everything. And, like, it all leads up to your Skater Island question. Because, like, back in the day, um, I remember a friend of mine named Scott Benoit called up and, um, was basically like, you know, and this is going back because, like, back then, like, you know, there was no internet and, like, you didn't have two phone lines in your house. So, like, you actually you had to meet people and, like, communicate <laughs> without just, like, magic. Yeah, it was no, <laughs> you, you didn't set that shit up. You weren't going to meet with those dudes. Yeah. You know I mean, like, you might not even see them. So, you had to, like, make dates to go skate. Like, you want to meet tomorrow at this place, whatever. So, um, we actually, we used to go to a place called Texaco. This is like a quick step back, but we used to go to a place, Texaco in Norwich, which was neat because it was an abandoned uh, gas station. So it had those metal edge curbs. But what was the genius part was there's a payphone on the side of the building and it's the era before there was no callbacks. So you could just call the payphone at the skate spot and some random person oh, would pick fuck. It, And they'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, yo, who's down there? And they'd be like, yeah, so-and-so's here, whatever. But like, it was kind of an interesting way for you to kind of like, you know, see what was going on and like, we'd all meet up. Um, but Wait, so, so like the homies could call the gas station yeah, because there's a payphone on the building. You just call that number. That's perfect. Yeah. Just see who's down there, you know? That was totally tight. Um, so let's see. Uh, so, but anyway, so, like, uh, I always wanted to work at Woodward, I guess. That would be a phase, right? I'm trying to think what happened first because there's so many of these things. So Woodward, I guess. So I wanted to work there, and um, a friend of mine named Scott Benoit called me up. He's like, yo, you want to work at Woodward? And I was like, yeah, when? And he goes, like, now. He's like, someone just got fired. I threw your name on, on the list. The skate director said, come out. And I was like, uh, I'll be there. So I rolled up. I just jumped in the car and drove six hours. And when I got there, I was coming up the hill on crutches. And the dude's like, who's this? And Scott's like, that's my boy from Connecticut. And they're like, you came out here with like a blown out ankle? And I was like, I didn't think you'd call again. And since I don't have an application and I don't want to miss the opportunity, like I got an air cast. I can still walk around. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yeah, and like don't like, pass that one up. Yeah, no, no. Because if I did, it would have never happened. All the things in my life that have happened wouldn't have happened had I not made this trip. So this is like a moment that changed everything so i rolled out there anyway like fuck it i'm going out and uh when i got there it was crazy like uh dave osmond was the skate director at the time they gave me a room full of a cabin full of rollerbladers and like <laughs> i had i was hooked up with this dude named um, andy i think his last name was barber he ran uh, groton schwinn and cyclery i wasn't on the team but he was just really generous to me wait so you were skate you're gonna do skate instruction but with rollerbladers well no i was going out there to do anything they want osi like is like almost like being a lifeguard at a certain building or skate instruction or work in the kitchen or whatever i didn't care but i didn't know what i would do yeah um but when I got out there, like, he was like, 
well, your job for the week is going to be uh, this cabin full of rollerbladers. Like, Sick. It's like almost like my <laughs> penance for like, you know what I mean? They're like, got to break in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did. trash. Well, the problem was, though, I had all these stickers and shit that Andy had given me from uh, Groton Schwinn and Cyclery. And, like, so, like, I had tons of skate stickers. And those rollerbladers don't give a shit about skateboard stickers. So, like, you couldn't even bribe them to go to fucking bed. Yeah, like, yeah. They were just total assholes. It was, like, so <laughs> out of control. But so after the first week, um, I had gone to the trainer every day and, like, got my ankle back to working condition. So I started to skate and get to know people. And um, actually, it's weird. In the first year I was there, I met a dude named Craig. And I'm having trouble remembering his last name. But Craig's the dude who started Upful Hardware, Creation, uh, Satori oh, uh, movement. Needly? Craig, ne- Craig Le- Needly? I believe that's Jetty? Jetty? Something like that? Yeah. Like, I, I know it's, I've seen J. his last name, but he started creation. That brand yeah, he's all those those great brands. and like so. But it's funny, he was a dude that, like, when I met him, we were talking, and all of a sudden he's like, well, I gotta go down to the cabin. And he 180'd into the big hill in front of Lot 8 and switched, bombed that hill past the wow, sketchy to that corner at the bottom. And, like, that was, like, wow. Like, that was my first introduction, and he's a San Francisco skater, too. So it's like, wow, he's not afraid to bomb a hill switch. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty neat. That's right. Um, so I worked there for many years. I actually came back to Norwich one summer, and my friend opened a, a rave fashion store when that was, like, hot in that period of time. And he had <laughs> sold these brands, like, I don't know, Third Rail and Pervert and... I don't know, a bunch of crazy Are they brands. real, or are you just no, making those up? Legit. Like, and he was crazy, though. Like, he knew these, like, heavy dudes, like, Local 13 out of Philly and whatever, and, like, he'd be the only vendor at a rave with, like, 10,000 people, and he'd be the only one selling that level of clothing and stuff that they wanted. We'd bring the whole store in one shot, unload it at the event, and then go back and have to wait a week for, like, new stuff to fill the store up to show up from the vendors, wow. which was kind of weird. But um, I introduced to him, the only reason I was part of that is I was like, listen, like, you got a cool store, but, like, you should be selling skateboards. He's like, I don't know anything about skateboards. So I was like, He's well, like, I- all I know about is glow sticks and ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. Totally. Suspenders, rainbow suspenders. Totally. He wasn't he wasn't too cheesy, but he was a uh, he was into that. That's so, what I picture with raves. Yeah. I don't really know much about raves, but that's well, what back I then it wasn't cool. It was like they were renting out like abandoned supermarkets and throwing underground parties. Like it was uh, almost right. dark and seedy. It was like kind of almost more dangerous than like lame and bright and colorful. Yeah. It was kind of almost gnar- like you might do too much drugs you might get in trouble. <laughs> like the cops were going to raid it or something. It was before the raves went mainstream. Yeah, totally. Out. totally. <laughs> so I, I just went in there and basically like to his shop I was like, listen, like I want to open a skate shop. Maybe we can do this together. And he ba- he said something to me like, he's like, well, if you'll work the store, I won't charge you to like be have your stuff in here. So instead of being a partner like for money, he basically I just ran the store and uh, I got to have my own skate counter. Right. And uh, I consolidated. How old were you at this point? Sorry to cut you off. Uh, it's like 95 to 97-ish. So, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. I guess I graduated in 94, which makes me 18. So, probably about 21, 22, thereabout. Before we go forward, I just sure. want to say that Jeff Jeff uh, has his own brand called Worship Skateboards. And he also has um, how many locations? We have uh, two skate shops right now. Yeah, um, the Ideal Skate Shop. Do you call it Ideal Skate Shop or The Ideal? Or like... I usually leave the The off, but yeah. Ideal okay. Skate Shop. Ideal Skate Shop. So, just as, so you guys know going forward, you know, this is what he's into. This is like... It's very cool. We'll get into the brand and why he does all that stuff down the road. But um, I, what I do on my podcast is I like to, I like to forget to introduce people and be like, "Oh, this is what they're here." So the people are listening, like, "Who am I listening to talk?" And then oh, for like, sure. okay, so but um, yeah. So I, I also wanted to kind of stop too before we go forward. I know we got to the rave part and all that stuff. But how did you get your first skateboard? 
Uh, my grandpa brought me one from this place called Caldors. They're kind of like Walmarts in this area. And it had Adventure Man on it, which was an absolute blatant ripoff of Rambo First Blood. It was a dude with a BAR. <laughs> there was like flames and like a chopper. And it just said Adventure Man. So it was fucking badass. It was, is that what you're it saying? It was pretty <laughs> and, uh, But I got to tell you, though, because like, you know, like from... The, you know my brand worship it's like about art i know i don't do a lot of logo stuff it's all art well back then i actually took and covered over those graphics with like uh, masking tape and spray paint and i like totally redid that shit at one point so i think that even in the beginning like i had this passion for like wanting to just do art on boards like i think that it, it goes back to a very early age but my first word that was like the garbage one that every kid rides down the driveway sits on it and stuff but um then years later um Actually, I know the date, and it's weird because it all ties in. August 22nd, I had an old calendar, and I looked back, and I found the date. I had a pool party, like, in 7th or 8th grade, and there was, like, girls were in the pool, and the boys were, like, playing basketball or something in the driveway. And, like, my buddy and I went into the garage to, like, uh, look for a basketball pump, and he's like, hey, whose skateboard is this? And I was like, my cousin left it here. It was a Mike McGill that had Ananias Indies and, like, big... um, I think they were like rockets. I think they were OJ rockets um, uh, for wheels. It was pretty official then. It was like, yeah, it was way better than mine because the one I had was like the garbage Caldor one. They don't so. spin and shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those this, things are horrible. So this was like, you know, my cousin left a pretty decent board over there. And uh, my buddy Tim was like, he's like, oh, that's sick. He's like, do you skate? I was like, no. And he's like, oh, so we went on the driveway and we tried to power slide around a little bit and we had fun. He's like, I'm going to borrow my cousin's board and I'll come over tomorrow. And for the next five years, Tim lived at my house. Oh, sick. Yeah. And uh, actually, that this is a flashback. So then um, I had a barn behind my house with a cement floor. And at the time, my dad had, like, worked on certain cars and things. Well, there were pretty much no cars in it. So I built, like, you know, the standard, like, two cinder blocks and a piece of plywood type of bank ramp. And then after that, I was like, all right, let's build it bigger. Let's build it bigger. So over the years... My barn in Preston was like this kind of like indoor skateboard park that at the at the end of it, it was like the high point. It was like legitimately like wall to wall, steel coping, extensions, roll-ins, like it was like an indoor skateboard park, but it was private. And um, you know, if you were in the zone in New England and you needed a place to skate on a rainy day, the only two places you could go were or three, I guess, was uh Russ Dolly's house, which was in Preston which is a spine ramp. My house, which was the, the mini ramp with the cement floor, made, like, steel sheeting at the bottom of the ramps, too, like a skate park. And then there was a kid, um, well, I can't remember his name right now, but he had a, a skate park, Newbury. said something Newbury. He had a uh, indoor ramp on Thames Street in Groton that, like, Brian Anderson was skating. It was amazing he wouldn't hit his head on the ceiling because it was, He's like... He's massive. <laughs> yeah, you know, that room was so tiny, but, like, that was a cool... Newbury's was a cool spot because it was, like, built over the water, too. Like, if you open the door on the side of the building, you were looking down at the water. Like, somehow oh, they built cool. it out over it. Yeah. It for, like, ki- for kids out there that don't know that are just getting into skating, like... Yeah, back in the day, it wasn't there wasn't a shitload of skate parks. There was just, like... You met, like... Back, like, I started skating in New Hampshire, and there was literally, like five skateboarders right. and that was it you know what i mean and like you just met people and that dude had a mini ramp or that dude knew this the benjamin franklin parking lot and like that's kind of what you're describing right oh, now totally, like yeah. it wasn't there's no big industry there's no street league money there's none of that bullshit you like skate two miles like through shitty roads to go skate a parking block behind a school that just happens to be the only waxed parking block <laughs> you're like dude this parking block's amazing we gotta go there and everyone's like let's go and, like, these days, you'd laugh about that spot. Yeah. Like, you know, you wouldn't be taken seriously. But back then, that was the spot. You, it's funny you said Texaco earlier, because when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, we had a Getty station. Gas yeah, station and totally. abandoned. We just fucking made ramps out of whatever was lying around and the metal curbs. And Absolutely. So rad. Yeah. Absolutely. The barns were, like, a good era, though, because, like, so many people came through. Donnie came through. Everyone came through. But um, 
we like always used to go skate like downtown Groton. I remember I have a visual of Donnie Barley backside flipping over a shopping cart turned over in front of um, Blockbuster. But what was cool about that spot too is there was also like a Little Caesars pizza. And like at the end of the day, when like they, they had extra pizzas that they hadn't sold, they would just come give them to the skaters at the end of the day and like <laughs> feed everybody. So it was almost like you'd plan going there a certain time of day just to get fed. It was like free food. You know, like, you're going to shit your pants later, but at least you're fed. That's a good visual to have stuck in your head, Donnie Barley. Backside flip over a garage, uh, over a shopping cart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one to Completely. have. Completely. Classic. Uh, he's done so many good things. <laughs> I still see him once in a while. I was out at the Agenda Trade Show. Uh, I mean, I go out every year, basically, and uh, I see him out there. It's amazing just because, like, it's, like, a long-time friend, in a way, from the industry. I mean, we were never close buddies. It's not like we were, like, sleepovers as little kids type of friendship. But you know what I mean? Like, one of those dudes that I've always seen around at all the ramps, and, like, I almost walked past him at the trade show, and he was like, Blamin, what up? And I was like, oh, "Oh, that's weird. Like, I was like, I didn't even see him there. It was, like, kind of neat to catch up with an East Coast dude because... You know, in a weird way, the industry is predominantly West Coast. Yeah. And East Coast has grown, but at the same time, it's still isolated. Like, if you, I always say to the great kids I meet out here that are killers, like, like go West. Go live, go, go live out there. Sleep on someone's couch. Go hang out with your friends. Make your name. You can always come back. Yeah. But you really, you can't make your name out here unless you make that trip. Because it's like a pilgrimage. Like, you got to go out there and you got to knock on some doors. You got to meet some people. And if you can prove your salt on the East Coast, then you definitely have what it takes then go there and let them know who you are, and then you can always come back. But. I, I agree, and we're, we're actually working on changing that a little bit. I still think kids should travel, but I really, like with the New England Am and everything, I really want to build up a big event where we're all under one roof, and it's just like you see examples. Basically, we'll do a 14 and under for the little dudes, 15 and over for the hungry Ams that may not have a skate shop sponsor, and then we'll do a skate shop invite contest. So all the skate shops can come, bring their three best Ams, battle it out. But then we also have Barley, Don Pierre, and uh, Westgate as the judges. So I, I, I kind of see it as a blueprint to try to build and connect our industry on the East Coast. And, I mean, obviously you still got to go out West and, like, connect with that. But I feel like if we can get everyone coming together in winter at this one place and everyone can communicate and work together. Well, you to showcase the talent, and that's the thing that's missing, and you're bringing that to the equation. Yeah. Is that there's been a long time since there's been, like, a... I mean, even when, like, Skater Island had some pretty big events back in the day, like, it was necessary to yeah. have those events. But, like, that is the year 2000. I mean, we're 14 years later. And yeah. It hasn't been a replacement, except for that element thing we just talked about, but I already forgot the name of. Yeah. That and was, it's like, been... a barracks thing. Like, that yeah. was really cool, but, like, that was, like, one season and done. That's not annual. That's why, like, Skate Park of Tampa doing, da- uh, doing their AM contest makes sense because every year you can count on it to be gnarly yeah so that's what you're bringing to that's what i'm hoping to yeah but that's important and i believe and i believe just the format set up so if you're if you're 14 and under you're a little dude you can show your talent there you're going to hit 15 and over that's like a am contest for you show your talent there if you support the skate shops and you you help them grow and you're just a down-to-earth dude who shreds hopefully you'll be skating for the skate shop team like a lot of us do you know yeah, like totally. that's usually your first sponsor is the skate shop you know because right. they'll flow you here and there even if you get a ten dollars off that's your sponsor do you know I me mean? get a free shirt it's awesome so if you if you're 15 and over and you do well in that and then you end up getting sponsored by the skate shop hopefully you'll make it into that and then they have examples of pros that live on the east coast east coast donnie barley yeah. rhode island westgate there myself don pierre and it's like you kind of see there's like a format so it's like for those that really want to do it 
we can bring all the attention once a year. And then the summers, fall, and spring, you can be skating in Boston, Providence, New York, filming video parts with that sick-ass East Coast footage and texture and feeling that they don't have out on the West Coast. And then you can still travel out there and make a name for yourself. And it's just like, I feel like that's what we need to do in this area. And it's like, it's rad. Today we just did a big skate jam. Um, We'll get into that in a minute. But let's go back. I I like to jump around on the podcast because it's just... um, Keeps everybody guessing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, New England Am, November 22nd. Please check it out. If you're in the East Coast and you want to have a fucking great day with, like, a lot of skateboarders, and it's going to be rad. Um, What were we talking about right before that? You were getting into... Well, we were talking East Coast and stuff. I mean, I'll jump back into the thing if you want. I kind of want to get back to... Your story and where okay. we're at with that. Um, well, uh, I worked at Woodward for a while, I guess. We'll get uh, we'll skip ahead. So, like, I did the skate shop thing in Norwich for, like, a year and a half with that dude, Don. But he actually, it's, it's kind of crazy. Drugs and, like... Oh, the thing. raver, right? Yeah. yeah. He, his drug scene actually, like, was bringing the shop down. So I had to bail. I basically, I was like, I'm not going down with the shit, man. Like, yeah. I felt like the cops were watching the store and it had nothing to do with me. And it was getting heavy. So I was like, I bounced on the whole thing. Smart and actually, I never even got move. paid for any of the boards that, like, he sold off the wall and, like, kept the money, you know? Like, it kind of got gross. He wasn't being true anymore. That's so I left. Um, and, and it's uh, it's funny how he turned up later in life in the last couple of years. And, like, you know, it's weird. Like, he gives someone a second chance. Oh, he, yeah. He pulled the same shoot again, but not on a major level. I was sponsored by Red Bull at that time. And I just fronted him a bunch of cases of Red Bull to help him out and some money that he needed to do this, like, kind of like a, he was doing a promoting uh, concert kind of thing. And uh, he pulled the same shoot again, like, you know, I'll pay you next week, I'll pay you next week. But it's interesting because, like, it, I never expected to see him again either, which was kind of weird. Yeah. But it was kind of neat. He popped up in the radar for a minute, and it's like, oh, you know, old friends and that kind of jazz. I had um, a dude like that, too. He had actually moved in with me. It was a family friend, my brother's friend, and, uh, and uh, he lived with us, and he didn't pay rent one month, and then the next month, and then I had to be like, uh, like I had to come to a head, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. dude, I've known you for so fucking long, and now you're not giving me, a, you owe me money, and you're living with me and my lady, and eventually, you know, it just ended up in a big fight, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. then he left, and then I did, but I still was like. If I saw him today, I would still say, what up? You know, like, I felt like I had to let it roll off. Even when he came back that second time after the bullshit, I was like, how you been, man? What's good? And he's like, oh, I was doing this, I was doing that, I'm back. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, people, and I was you like, know well, people grow. Yeah, yeah, we'll give it a shot. So or you hope they do. <laughs> some people don't really change, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so back to Woodward, I was there forever. I actually ran the rope course and the rock wall. Uh, I was like in charge of like OSI's on-site instructor. You're kind of like a lifeguard at the different spots. Put your helmet on, wear your elbow pads. You know, kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that crap sucks. And so, but Woodward's awesome. It's worth it. Oh, my God. I had the best time. Yeah. Actually, I got blacklisted, which is kind of funny. I probably did, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I showed up uh, years later when, after I'd already started to worship, and Bob Lewis walked up to me. He was the skate director at the time. He goes, he's like, uh, Blayman, what's up, man? How you been? I was like, doing great. He goes, so, uh, you know, you're blacklisted, right? And I was like, I wasn't sure. I said, you know, the way things <laughs> ended was a little weird. He's like, I'm going to say I didn't see you today. And, like, maybe by tomorrow you should be, like, gone. And it's like, and I had to zero my team. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm going to leave, but they're not. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he's yeah. like, that's totally cool. That ever, everything's cool. But it was kind of funny, like, uh, I, uh, that story was I actually, when I was running, they, they put me in charge of the rope course and the rock wall, which is weird, because I had been an instructor, a head instructor for a while, too. So it was almost like kind of like stepping into a new realm unnecessarily. And uh, while I was doing it, uh, this dude, Alan Meyer, who's running the, his, his wife runs the lodge and stuff, and... Uh, I basically, like, was running the road course, and he said, uh, you're on for next week, and I'm like, actually, I've worked three weeks, which means I get a week off. 
already made plans to go to Pittsburgh. I'm meeting up with this girl. And uh, he's like, no, you're on the list. And I was like, well, you penciled my name and just erase it and put somebody else. Yeah. And he, I was like, I've done the three. I get one off. I'm going to be here for 16 weeks. Like, that's how it works. Three, one, three, one. And he's like, no, nah, man, you're on for next week. So I went and talked to the skate director. And I was like, listen, I got to go meet this girl. I got plans. I've had plans for three weeks, man. Like, I can't blow that off. I mean, she might be bummed, you know. And he's like, you know what, man? He's like, just go. You'll be fine. And when I got back after that week, he's like, eh, things aren't fine. <laughs> yeah. That, that guy kind of took it a little too far and was like, <sighs> so I, uh, I, I got unnecessarily chopped that time. Motherfuckers. Um, yeah, that was kind of cold hearted. <laughs> and I had, go- I've gone back since though. I did a bunch of those winter sessions, you know, you pay like 150 bucks and you get to like stay in the lodge for two days. And in the winter? Yeah, it's amazing. I didn't know this. They leave open, um, they leave open cloud nine and lot eight and you right. basically get to live in the lodge and then like skate these two enormous parks. Uh, out of all the ones that are over there. And uh, I remember being in there and, like, looking at the footage on my camera and seeing it. We're all around, like, a breakfast nook with, like, you know, like a like a continental breakfast. And, like, that dude, Alan, walked into the room. Because, like I said, his wife ran the lodge. And I'm there with all these dudes. Like, Crazy Horse was there, too. Akil was there. Hell, yeah. And uh, I, I, I flipped open my camera, and I, like, was looking through the, the, the LCD on my camera uh, at him as I was basically filming him without like recording and I was watching him look like looking at me being like do I know that guy do I know that guy and I'm like using the camera to look at him and I'm like I think he recognized me <laughs> and I watching a TV show I was like oh man this is hot I gotta get out of here it's kind of weird um but so, uh, anyway, so all that, whatever. So then, um, I'm back home in Connecticut and I've been filming, like trying to like film and make like edits, like, you know, non, um, linear editing, like deck to deck style stuff. Um, and I decided to go out to California with my girlfriend and my buddy, Scott, the guy who called me and said, Hey, you want to work at Woodward? Um, he happened to be living out on Vine, I think in Hollywood. So I went out there and he was working for Atomic Garage on Melrose, which is a skate shop. And he was like a board gripper, which is weird that they have a job for someone who just grips boards all day. How many boards they selling, man? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's crazy, right? He just leaves the bloody fingers every day. Yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) So to Edward Scissorhands. And, uh, so, uh, I went out to visit him and it was a really amazing trip. Everything was fantastic. But one thing that changed my life was that, um, we were supposed to head back to the skate shop and we walked the wrong way and we got sick of walking I was like listen I'm, we're just gonna call a cab like screw it so we got a cab they take us to Melrose to the atomic garage and when we roll up as we go into the building a dude's walking out and he goes hey aren't you Scott's friends from Connecticut and we're like yeah we're looking for Scott he left but I'm about to go see this art show you want to hang with me I'll take you guys around for the day and his name was Mark Kincaid and Mark turned out to be like kind of a heavy and he introduced us to things I went and saw like these like I don't remember if this is exactly the right way to say it, but like purple label Levi's that were like hand embellished with like paint by Mark Gonzalez or some crazy oh, shit. It was cool, like cool. this kind of a thing, like an art show that was skate art, but it was like, you know, just the weirdest, weirdest shit. It was like the, we entered through an alleyway that had a dumpster that they seriously put there just for the effect of having a dumpster <laughs> near a doorway. That's it was awesome. empty. It was clean. <laughs> it was like totally like L.A. garbage. That's an art show. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, um, actually, leak. I can dear leak my own balls. This, this piece right there actually is from that show from the same thing. And I'm making noise no, that's during your podcast. No, that's good, man. I like it. But that's the year 2000. I went to this Mary Chernofsky and there was a Shepherd Ferry Ron English piece this was a wheat paste i pulled it right off the wall of the building and rolled no it up shit. and took it home as a souvenir 
And um, that was an amazing show. Is like, that Marilyn Monroe? Yeah, with the Mickey Mouse boobs. That was Ron English's <laughs> style. He used to mix all that. Good shit. And then Shep. But what's crazy is this is before Shep was famous. Like, now Shep's doing, like, he did a patch for NASA for, like, one of their space programs. Wow. Like, that's crazy to think how far he's come from yeah, the Bay. compared to, like, to this. It's almost yeah. ironic. Guerrilla Street graffiti, you know? basically. But, um... So anyway, yeah, we were there in about the year 2000, and uh, so Scott was great, met Kincaid, Kincaid set me up with a dude, Don, over at Soltech, and I became... Don Brown? I think that's who it was, but I don't remember the last name, so I don't know if that's exact, but it would make sense, because I yeah, know he was down. Man, yeah. um, but so I, uh, I got the opportunity through this random dude, Mark, that I met by accident, uh, to be a filmer. Now, I had been filming with a high eight up until this point, Same. so I get home from the trip, and uh, I'm basically like, I don't have the right equipment. Yeah. And so uh, my mom and my girlfriend's mom each gave me like fifteen hundred bucks, and I bought a GL one a Canon. Damn. And I got a bag and a bag and a pack and everything like a lighting, a, like a, a um, I forget the name of that type of flash that I got set up for it. But you um, had a proper ass setup. Though. They hooked it up, like even yeah. like the tripod that Jay's using in the other room right now was like a four hundred dollar like Bogdan Manfrotto like really nice tripod like levels and stuff and you gotta figure this is like over a decade later and my friend's borrowing it for his like it's going to film school it's still a good yeah. so it was like cool shit but they, they hooked me up with the right product so since I had the eye for filming but I didn't have the equipment now I had the equipment I was like well I'm supposed to be doing this uh, filming for the Soltech project called um, New Horizon. Yeah. So I needed to find kids. So I called up um, BB3. Remember Bike Boards and Blades in Boston? I do, and yeah. Concepts and Spongy. And yep. uh, I went up there and Fowler was there. And at the time... Jerry Eli, Fowler? Yeah. Yep. And Eli was up there before he was famous. Little Eli. Um, and and uh, who else was up there? Um, Pepper was up there. And uh, Jamal and a bunch of dudes. So like, uh, I went up to film and I would take the train up every weekend to go film um and i was like dedicated i mean i wasn't missing a weekend to, to go to boston and try and get in it and uh i got good footage some of it you know was whatever uh and then like i decided i was like i gotta try someplace else so i hit up the skater island and i called over and i talked to crazy horse and he said come up i've got these couple of kids they're really good and uh and basically just come up and film whatever i'll set it up so i would start to show up during the hours was like when i first met him and then usually, like, show up half an hour before closing and film after hours. He was nice enough to hook that up. Yeah, the footage we were watching tonight was after hours. It was all lit up, like, before the barracks was even around. And you guys were lighting up Skaters Island filming and shit. Absolutely. So, and we yeah. actually skated, um, horse skated the vert ramp once with half the vert ramp lit up. And the oh, other wow. half in pitch black. And he could skate it like that, which blew my mind. I mean, most yeah. of us couldn't skate a six foot like that. Never mind a vert ramp. Yeah, like, dropping in on a fucking, how big was that, like, 12 feet probably? It's yeah, pretty, it was. Yeah, it was like it, a. I think it was the nine and a half with two feet of vert. So yeah, it'll be eleven and a half. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, um, so I basically went up there to film, uh, and I got to meet the, the little dudes were Akil Brathway, Timmy Champion, Kevin Garabedian. Um and then there was also that you were there a bunch, but I wasn't there to film you. There was uh, Nick Dampierre was there a bunch. Um, Zared Bissett was there a bunch. Uh, Jeremy Rogers. Um, Even PJ was rolling through. PJ Lab was there a ton. I have a split demo with him, and he just murdered that place. Him yeah. and Andy Mack was there too for the split demo. Did every old school trick on the vert ramp. It was mind blowing. I saw Charlie Wilkins there a lot. Um, Donnie came through a bit. Um, we were just talking about um, Mike Brown earlier tonight. Mike Brown, yeah. wow! It was Dude. a great zone. And like, actually, I've talked to a bunch of people like in the past about um, doing like a documentary. I mean, I, like, I have two hundred 
hour-long tapes of footage of Skater Island. Oh, so I mean, we could get together and make something. We'll go like um, interview Sid because it yeah, was Sid's yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Like Mary was it? Mary Flynn, Doug Flynn, and Mary O'Neill were the owners. But like they were partners with Sid, and then they screwed Sid. So that's why Crazy Horse and I. Well, Crazy Horse made these T-shirts that basically said Sid's Island, not Skater Island. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there were also these stickers that said Soulless Fuckers, and it had like Skater Island written with dollar signs on the S's. It was really great <laughs> shit. That we were pissed at that. The end, the way that ended was so cold. Like the wrong people got burned the whole way out. But what ended up happening when that whole thing went to shit, um, it led to other opportunities. Uh, one step back, though, this is a really funny story and like the way things work out by accident, like the trip out to California or the, and meeting the guy that led me to Don or whatever, all these little moments. Um, when I was up filming one time, uh, this guy named Aaron Camerata from Neversoft uh, was there filming for the Tony Hawk 3 Pro Skater video yeah, game, and he broke his camera or he forgot his battery pack or whatever his story was. Um, he couldn't do what he needed to do, which was film source material for the video game. So Horse was like, Jeff films freelance. He's here every day. Like, just, you know, he'll film whatever you want. So they asked me, and they said, well, what would you want? I said, just put my name in the credits. Like, I don't, I don't want anything. Like, just put my name in the credits. So they did, and I, I was the guy in, uh, I'm, for the, the Skater Island level of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, I literally filmed the room. I, like, panned left to right go down four feet, pan right to left, go down four feet, pan left to right. And I just filmed the room as boring as you can so they could use it as, like, reference material to build the level for the video game. No shit. And yeah, it's funny. I got the credits for that, and it was kind of like a randomest, weirdest moment. It's a cool little thing to have on the resume, though. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just, and actually, for a couple of years, they would send me video games every year for Christmas, which was kind of cool. Damn, that's sick. That's kind of neat. That's good connection. Um, but so then after all that, I was actually working at Foxwoods, and um, I ended up basically getting a call from Crazy Horse saying uh, he's no longer with the Skater Island people. That's all dead in the water. But there's an opportunity that came his way, and he's now working with Skater Paradise uh, and this investor, and they already have a park almost finished or completed in Shrewsbury. Now, you might know it now as, uh, at one point it was MSC. It was Skater Paradise, then it was MSC. Now it's subliminal. Uh, but that was originally a Skater Paradise park. So Horace asked me if, uh, if I would come up and do kind of like retail operations, um, and I was running a golf store at Fox was at the time. We did like $100,000 a week in business, which is no lie. I mean, every set of clubs is 1500 Every driver is 500 Three Woods 500 You can oh, see shit. like every set of clubs, if someone buys it, is five grand out the door. I need to get into the golf of business. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was nuts. But we also, we were a casino with inflated prices. Yeah. And, you know, a captive audience that had wampum points they needed to spend. Yeah. So, I mean, it was an interesting place for sure but so i had kind of like learned and mastered like retail operations visual merchandising and some things like that by being in that high-end store for so long that um he asked me if i'd come up i quit my job that night uh my boss was like i was like how do you quit and i he goes uh, there's a form you got to fill out i was like will you bring it down he's like i'll bring it down so he brought it down and i go well i filled it out he's like you did like it, all of it, he thought it was going to take weeks for me to figure this out. I like did it all within like you know You're the course ambitious. of my last night there, and I was like <laughs> over it. So I walked out of there. Remember in a half baked when uh. He walks out and he goes, freedom. You're cool. You're cool. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, I'm out. I totally, I bounced like that. I was just like, I felt so good to be like, I'm free. And uh, I, I started working at Skater Paradise. And uh, my friend Pete Farrell was running the uh, the park at, at that Shrewsbury location at the time. Uh, we expanded the operation. We opened Framingham uh, and Bourne, which were the other two. Uh, Bourne was on the Cape. That's where Mike Brown worked briefly, too. Yeah. He was awesome. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, can't say enough good shit about Mike Brown. That dude was amazing at skateboarding. Uh, like uh, uh, on a, such another level. Is too. there footage online? YouTube? I have tons of footage of him. Well, we yeah, need well, to get we some on YouTube. Yeah, because I'd love to watch that again and lose my mind. 
Uh, going before we go forward, sure. uh, there's something that's been I've been wanting to ask you from the beginning, and if it's too personal, you can just decline. But uh, yeah. what are your parents like? Uh, my dad is like a half Jewish businessman, and my mom is a school teacher who taught English. She has a master's degree, and she was very like. English teacher, professor, but everyone who ever had her for class, and I had her twice. I had her as a freshman and a senior at St. Bernard's. I thought you stayed back. That would have no. funny. No, 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 no. But, mom uh, flung to me. <laughs> she made sure it was tougher on me than everybody else. So she wanted to make sure people knew that it wasn't like I got a free ride. But she said to me, like, personally, she was like, you've had a tutor your whole life in English. Like, every time you've ever had to do anything, I've been there to help you to do it right. Now you got to prove you paid attention. Yeah. And so, like, she was, she was like hardcore in that way but I think it was cool because like it made me uh, I don't know verbally capable I can really I can write really well there's a lot of things I can do as far as like my language skills I mean my vocabulary things that like are definitely because my mom gave me those skills yeah. that make me a good front man for things so like I'm happy to express myself in a million different ways because I'm capable I have the ammunition I have the tools yeah. but she blessed me with that opportunity to have that that, 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 that presence and that ability and also like I'm not scared to stand in front of a thousand people and talk or two people and talk. I love intimate settings where, like, I can connect with somebody one-on-one and maybe, you know, it's somebody be the kid in the skate shop who needs help or has got a question or whatever. Or it could be like today with the contest. I don't care. Let's talk on the mic in front of everybody and talk about whatever. And but that's a skill in itself for real. I think it helps because we need that. Like, we need more people to be, like, vocal because there's so many people that just see stuff happen and don't say anything. It's like sometimes you got to get up there and just say your piece. Yeah, sometimes you got to be the, the one sheep that goes out and just, like, stands on a soapbox and says something everyone else is going one way and it's like they're so comfortable and going one way off a cliff yeah, someone's gonna be like yo yeah and then you get they end up usually killing that dude the jesus figure or whoever but but regardless like if, if more people can do it the better i think we should all kind of communicate and uh, uh understand each other better so it's good that you have those skills it's, your it's parents a- your mom gave you a gift if you ask me yeah. well i know with the dad thing like you mentioned too like he owned a bunch of buildings in Norwich, so I was always the kid who was whitewashing buildings, tarring the roofs, cutting the grass, putting in the drop ceiling. So, like, I had a sense of ownership. They weren't mine, but they were mine. Yeah. So, like, that kind of made me realize Good that, work like, ethic you can, yeah, you can do it, too. Um, my grandfather was a famous musician. He actually was first chair of clarinetist for the Metropolitan Opera House wow. for, like, 30, 30 or 33 years or something. So, um, it's really wild because, like, I used after he was retired... I mean, he was legitimately like, the best in the world at what he did, like, no lie. That's so when he Clarinet? Went, yeah, clarinet. And for the Met, too, no less. So when he went home to retire uh, in New Jersey, he actually went out to Albuquerque. He started a stand business called Blayman's Last Stand. And if you have, like, a buffet or a LeBlanc clarinet, like a $20,000 horn, you buy a Blayman stand. You don't buy anything else. That's just the ones you buy. So um, I would go out every summer for, like, a month and live with grandpa and basically like I would be packing boxes and putting labels on shit which oh, is what sick. you and me are doing now like, yeah. so like I kind of learned that side of like shipping and receiving from like grandpa because I was doing it as a little kid for him I didn't think anything of it but it's an interesting lesson that I picked up along the way yeah that's uh, awesome a story about his life which is also mind boggling is we've all seen the godfather right like a yeah. million times Okay, well, on BlaymanMusic.com, if you go there, they have, like, testimonial, and they have the history of Herbert Blayman. Um, he sold the company before he passed away. This is so your grandfather? Yeah. Um, so it got uh, it got passed on to other people, but they left up the testimonials because, obviously, the, the stands are, 
are valuable because of his name on them and his professional capacity is what the association makes it powerful. So um, they left it up there. And one of the things that's funny, when there's excerpts on one page of that, blamingmusic.com, it says, like, things he played in. There's the Godfather Waltz, the theme song, because when they made the Godfather, they hired the uh, the Metropolitan Opera House to play the score, being that they were like this major body. Wow. And it's hilarious because Grandpa probably showed up to work that day like, I gotta play this stupid solo for this movie <laughs> that I've never heard of. Because at the time, it wasn't famous. It was just something coming out. Yeah, yeah. So, he busted out the solo, and basically uh, it's interesting that I've seen that a thousand times. You can you can get it. There's no rules on the Shatler show. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> All right, nice to see Mito. Take it easy, buddy. Later, homie. Later, man. Yo, see you guys around. Yeah, there's no rules on that. Dude, I've had podcasts where my dog's barking every five minutes. <laughs> or like, whatever. It's very unscripted, very raw. Whatever happens, happens. We're at Jeff's house in uh, in uh, Connecticut, so and we just skated out, and he's got a mini ramp out back right by the river, and we had a big jam today, Battle at the Baltics, um, skate contest that was really awesome. The skate park's amazing. Those kids killed it. And it's cool. It's right behind the Cumberland Farm, so you can go get some snacks and drinks, and yeah. the park's built really awesome. It was Jeff Pock. Uh, Pop, Pop Rocky, Rocky. Yeah, yeah Pop Rocky And uh, I had a blast there That place was so It's hard for me To go do these things Only in You have a Paul Abdul VHS tape yeah. <laughs> What the fuck is that I found, I found these In the basement I think these were my, These were my sisters though. Alice Cooper Trash VHS It's like videos And then it's a Paul Abdul Straight up video On VHS I have to take a photo Of these These are gonna be On my Instagram guys Just so you can see this Boom um, yeah, so anyways, today was amazing, and it's cool. How many years have you been doing this? Uh, well, I've had the skate shops and the brand for like 10 years. So I've been raising money for the skate parks locally for probably eight of those 10. We raised 38000 for Norwich and rebuilt it because it was horrible. It was like a dog kennel. And they had a fence around a situate cement pyramid and like a really crappy knee-high prefabricated half pipe. It was like a totally lame. And then... Um, you know, basically all the, the parks around here all basically developed because uh, I would inevitably, once we started doing all the fundraising at Norwich, there was a domino effect. Uh, Baltic came forward first and we um, we set up um, kind of a, like a petition and we had all the kids signing a petition to get a skate park built. And then they kind of like took city money and built what they did now. But what's nice about Baltic is they built an iron tennis court. It has lights. It's smart in the design. Oh, that place has lights? Yeah, it does. Wow. Yeah, and they're on until like pretty late too. Mad. Now, the thing is like, um, I grew up, like we were talking about all those people. Um, I skated with Jeff Popracki as a kid. Like I was a little bit of a mini ramp champ and he was a mini ramp champ. So like, and every time there was beef, a fucking, little beef. No, no, never, never, never. <laughs> but if there was ever a mini ramp, we would always be at it together because someone called him and someone called me. Yeah. Well, it's not like there was Facebook. We didn't know each other was going. You were calling the payphone at the fucking yeah, Texaco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we would basically, oh, we're going to be there. <laughs> oh, to be honest, I don't think I ever called him in my life. I think honestly, like we just always ended up at the same thing. So we just got to be friends out of like that seeing each other. Just skateboarding everywhere. brings yeah. it all together. It's awesome. So uh, we were always hyped on each other. And, um, Oh God, there's so many stories. It's like we're gonna go on forever, but maybe that's all right. I, I want to hold up before we go yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. It is all right. We have unlimited time, but um, this might be two podcasts, brother. That's all right. That's all right. I mean, I, Joe Rogan does three hour three hour podcasts, and I listen to them all. Like I've listened to every single one. Like, um, yeah. So before we go forward, sure, sure. Because I've been thinking the whole time you're talking, I'm just like, I see little bits of myself in there in, in you, yeah, or you. I mean, you're older than me, so... Whatever, it's all Yeah, good. either way. But, um... Similar soul. Yeah, so I'm just, like... I, I'm trying to... That's why I was asking about your family a little bit. I see, like, um... You're very intelligent. 
You have a crazy work ethic. You're very inspired. Like, mine came from a bro- broken family and finding something I love, like skateboarding, and just, like, it gave me a deep appreciation for life and, like, everything I do gives me a sense of losing my father at 12. Yeah. All of the, all, everything I've been given is through that sort of path. I'm trying to figure out how, like, that's why I was asking about your family. Like, it seems like uh, you had a good family structure. Like, what do you credit your, all your uh, qualities to? How do you, ha- how are you so inspired? How do you, why do you keep doing everything you're doing? Like, you've done quite a lot of shit and you're uh, still going. And I believe in, like, uh, like, a cosmic energy and the idea that, like, life is a river. And at certain points you get comfortable and you sit on the side. And then you got to get back in the water because if you sit on the side, life passes you by. You get back in, you flow further down, and more things happen and more things come. So I've always kind of just let things manifest. Uh, I don't believe that I've ever created anything, to be quite honest, with worship, with the opportunities with Skater Paradise, with the filming opportunity, with the idea of going to Woodward. All that was like, I got invited to go to Woodward. I'm just going to drive out there today with my blown out ankle. Or I'm, let's take that cab back to that skate shop on Melrose. Hey, what's going on? You're Scott's friends from Connecticut. Let's go to this art show. Let's go. So, like, everything was just like an evolution and a moment and accepting that there was already a path. You just had to let it happen. And I feel like I've never, I've tried not to regress. I've tried to, like, just progress, like, let it all happen. And strangely, it kind of has. The only thing that I'm dealing with now is with worship. I've never had an economic downfall like I have. We did, like, $10,000 a month for a long fucking time to all of a sudden go to, like, right now, like, we don't even have enough boards in stock to ship to the skate shops. I have 80 accounts. I can't even fill orders because I have no boards. But, like, we had such a horrible year that I focused on making sure the skate shop survived because the skate shop service the skate community in this zone. Exactly. The brand services people who never get affected beyond the board they're riding. So I made sure to focus on what I felt was my bread and butter and my crew over the brand and I let it suffer for a year but it's not dead it's just in a, it's in like a hibernation because as the new boards like I was just showing you from Andre Chaparro are coming out like, in the next month yeah he's a cool jazz dude great energy um, I feel like there's an opportunity to kind of like reinvigorate everyone worship again um, but back to your point, like, I don't know, I guess I just kind of always imagine that, like, even with the artist, that's a great way to kind of exemplify your point, is that I, I've kind of allowed everything to naturally happen. Because, like, even the artists, if you look at worship's history and catalog, dudes do twenty to $40,000 paintings. One guy worked for Futurama and The Simpsons. One board is by our, our friend's sister who passed away, and it raises money for a legend scholarship. We took, like, her high school art portfolio and made a board. She wasn't planning to be an artist. She has no... She passed away. She obviously doesn't know that this happened. But it's like, we kind of let it manifest. And so, like, all these projects and all these crazy people have kind of come to me. And in a nice way, it's allowed me the opportunity to kind of take their art. I always joke around, like, if I happen to be a Frisbee lover, the art that is on all these crazy worship skateboards would just be on Frisbees, and Frisbee lovers <laughs> would love it. I just happen to be a skateboarder since I was a kid, and I love skateboarding, do, so... Do you, remember, do you remember a moment, because uh, everyone grows... This is what I'm, I'm trying to get at, is like... Sure. like everyone grows when you're a kid you're kind of just a a kid you know you're going to school middle school high school like fucking around like I don't know direction like do you remember a turning point where you're like I just want to do all this stuff like because I I know you're not you're trying to be selfless and not give yourself too much credit in the sense that everything's coming through you it's not calculated but you're intelligent enough to appreciate good things and that's what I'm trying to like where did that come from I can think I can think people being there to lead the way like a guy named Mike Haynes and Mike Ehrman Mike Ehrman was the guy who used to drive us to uh, the playground as kids and like he was a little older than we were so like he was the dude who drove us out Uh, and now he's like shooting 
Um, oh, I can't remember the name of that huge photo company. There's a famous company that shoots photos that, like, their photos are the photos that everyone buys for every magazine. Like, it's the... They are, like, like stock de, photos. Yeah, they're, like, yeah. the coup de grace like, of that. And, like, he was doing, like... He, he loved photography, and that became his thing, and he's turned it into a huge, huge thing. Um, Mike Haynes was a guy that was his good friend, and Mike is, like, uh, living in Virginia now. That dude was a genius. He was editing videos and making videos on a level that inspired me that, like, if you were like, yo, that video was sick, mate, I'd like to get a copy. He's like, I'll just make you one, because he has yeah. the footage. Yeah. He just make you a different version of it. Sick. And, like, that dude was the best. And he was the kind of kid, I remember showing up at Texaco, and, like, he'd be like, Blayman, kickflip. And I'd bail the kickflip. He's like, for every kickflip you miss, I'm going to do three of them. <laughs> and, like, it was like he never missed a kickflip ever. So it was kind of like that kind of motivation of someone better and creative that inspired because you were like, these dudes are nuts. And you wanted to be down with that because it was so not like your boring friends that did other boring shit that you yeah. didn't give a shit about anyway. Yeah. These dudes were out there. So it was like a lot of fun to kind of have that connection. And like skateboarding, honestly, like, I mean, we used to go to Home Bank, which is a, a bank that closed in Norwich. And it's been a bunch of different things, but they had like the drive-through curb was really waxed, so you could skate under the awning. <laughs> okay. And we would go there every single day. Cops wouldn't kick us out. No one cared, and like Home Bank was the spot. People came from all over to skate that one stupid curb. But I got—I think it was like that energy. Like we all find when like the day you land your first—I don't know—pop shove it, and you're just like whoa. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to try that front side, and like everything kind of develops. I love—I think the the artistry and the mathematics of it. Cause like I always say, like it's, it's algebra, you know, a plus B equals C like backside kick, backside Ollie plus kickflip equals backside kickflip. Yeah. And you just have to like put the parts together and you can do anything. Yeah. It's just that you gotta like mathematically figure your shit out. And I think I like that when we were at the contest today, seeing kids work their way up, even you doing that transfer from the top over the rail down to the bank. I mean, you bailed it three times, but like each time you're closer, you're closer, you're closer. You work out the equation, you roll away, the crowd goes crazy. It's nice. I compare it to like lining up a pull shot kind of because you're yeah. just trying to like line it up. But each time you're getting a little closer to like lining it up perfect. And mm-hmm. then hopefully you get that one where it's like courage, good speed, good pop right away. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Like you just got to, sometimes it takes a few tries to line it up and then it helps. A lot of skateboarding too to me is like feeling. Because some people overthink it too much, and then a lot of it is just feeling. So you gotta learn to carve, and you gotta feel like the rhythm of things. You know what I mean? Which is mathematics as well. Oh, but, definitely. But it's just like that's a lot of it too. That's why I like smoking weed and skating because it, you get you feel more than you think. For me, at least. Well, that, that's gonna be a, that's a, actually an interesting component that I didn't bring up. But so back when uh, I had the barn in Preston. I mean, we skated there every day, all day. Everyone came over. I don't even remember kids' names. They'd be like, what's up, man? I'd be like, what's up, dude? Because, like, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of people. You don't know everybody's name. You can't even remember it anymore. So uh, everyone used to come over and hang out and skate. But it got to the point where, like, I skated every single day in a controlled environment where I learned every trick regular and I learned every trick switch on mini ramp to the point where I could, like, do switch front side blunts and pump out of them because I was just using it to set up something else because it didn't really, really matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's a barn and it's a mini ramp with perfect coping and masonite and it's easy to skate it wasn't like half ass and janky so uh, and then smoking we'd smoke i remember like we listened to older d bastards album or like you know <laughs> yeah. war pigs like black sabbath like on rotation misty miller band albums like just put in the tape and hit play and just that would just be on throughout all the speakers and just zone out with your friends and skate so i feel like if everyone else skated once or twice a week or had to skate their driveway 
I had the benefit and, and, you know, obviously like, and I'm very grateful for it that my dad was like, let me turn the barn into a skate park so that my friends and I would have a place to play. That's amazing. But, but it gave me like a place to train so that when it came right down to it, like we joked about the mini ramp champ garbage, but like, like when there was going to be a mini ramp thing, they were all going to call and, and yeah. Jeff was going to be there. And so was he. And so was he. And so was he. And so was he. But like, I was coming in because I had a place to play for a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like that gave me an edge, but I, I carried that with me forever. I worked at Woodward for years and skated their shit like it was mine. And then when I went to Mitchell College, um, I actually was able to convince Mitchell College to let us build a ramp in the small gym instead of the one credit course for nutrition or the one credit course for boating in the bay. I got a one credit course for skateboarding in the small gym set up <laughs> and they paid for the ramp. And so we skated that shit every single day. The best part was they were paying my friend to be the lifeguard on duty who was just really getting high next door in his dorm room and coming down and skateboarding. Like, that's hilarious. He got His name was Eric Walters, too. He's in Switzerland right now. Good for I'll make him. sure he hears this because yeah. he'll laugh when his name got dropped in it. Please but do. He used to just get baked and come, like, be the lifeguard at the skate park. It was genius. Um, and he was talented, too. He became an engineer. But it's interesting because the mathematical abilities of a guy who's that smart with math, he progressed through skateboarding so much faster than other people because he really just did figure things out faster. Yeah. And, like, he went from, like, being a herb wearing, like, uh, he'll laugh, too. He was wearing, like, tennis ball sneaker airwalks. Oh, man. They were, they were terrible shoes. Yeah, yeah. And, like, by the end of it, he was, like, hardcore, gnarly, and killing it legitimately over his career. But it's funny to think how we all start in that kind of, like, I, the goofy zone. You I know? feel like the people that have a good understanding of mathematics and um, certain principles... Uh, would progress better too because like I mean the first thing I teach a little kid when he comes to me for a skate lesson is all right can you stand on your front foot on the board and find your center of balance like that's where we're starting flat ground can you stand can you push once or twice find your center of balance on your front foot and just hold it in gymnastics they got full scale yeah, so yeah. you find your center of balance instantly. And if you understand that concept before you even jump on a skateboard, you're probably going to try to find your balance right away. Whereas most people, I watch them, they don't, they don't even think about that. They're never like, I need to find my center of balance. They just jump on the thing and they're like, I'm trying not to fall. Well, you know? I, I've, I've also said this. If you consider like skateboarding, it's like we can all shoot a basketball. You can give a basketball to anybody's mom. They can shoot it at a hoop. We can all toss a football around. We can all toss a baseball around. And the pros are better than the, the novices. But with a skateboard, not and almost no one can just jump on a skateboard and have fun with it. It's a very interesting and dynamic, almost dangerous concept compared to like tossing around the football that it really does take a certain level of dedication and nuance and you have to focus and you have to figure it out. And it becomes a passion because you have to exert your level of, of creativity and drive to be good at it. You just can't toss it around. You gotta be like, I want to figure this out. Here's how I need to stand before you can roll. You have to learn to stand. It's not easy. It's tough. But I think that's why too, when we find a kid that you or I see or someone sees and they're like, that kid's got a little something and he's into it. You give him 110% because you're like, you see, he loves it as much as you do and you want him to have the experience. So you give him a little extra. Some of the kids you can see right away. They don't give a shit. And they're, they're just there because their mom signed them up for summer camp. And it's like, well, I'll give him, I'll still give him a good summer camp experience. Yeah. But I'm not giving him that hundred and ten percent that I'm giving to that other kid that I can see has that little extra. Even if he's not talent, he's just got the fire. 
that in, that interest that like oh this is like something new to them that's amazing and it could change their lives yeah absolutely well, I'll give you uh, this is totally off topic almost but uh, so okay. I started a program uh, a year and a half ago two years ago with uh, Sensations Charitable Foundation oh, what we, is that which charity uh, it's called Sensations Charitable Foundation okay it's a 501c3 um, I have a program with them that I created called Success on Skateboards uh, we do lessons for the autistic and for people on the uh, disability uh, for sensory disabilities so basically sensory so like you might be hearing ear, impaired oh, yeah. you might be vision impaired to some degree um we generally work every saturday morning um and we've been running this now like i said for almost two years but what it's great is like it focuses on balance it focuses on communication and trust uh, and it focuses, focuses on independence so like you've got a kid who's got a lot of other stressful outer influences on his life and also like a disability of some sort where, like, he might have, if he has apraxia, he might be so severe he can't tie his shoes. If he has Asperger's, he might just be socially kind of a little bit uh, hard to deal with. Um, and, like, suddenly you bring them into skateboarding and, like, they all find the passion for it. I'll give you an example. Stone is one of our students. He's been with us since the beginning. Stone can't, couldn't tie his shoes. If he got frustrated, he would throw tantrums or he would, like, go, Ooh, and he would, like, kind of shake his hands. And his mom would run over, Stone, Stone, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she'd fix it. He's playing with her because he knows that's an immediate response mechanism. He does that, she listens. When he was with us, we would get him on the board. First, we had to, like, help him put his feet on. And then by the end of it, now he can just get on a board pretty casually. And we still walk with him holding hands and stuff because he can't really push off too well. But now it's like he'll start to throw a tantrum. And I'll be like, Stone, I'm not your mom. What do you want? Use your words. Yeah. And he said this. His parents said the speech pathologist wants them to have five-word sentences by the end of the summer. And I was like, that's bullshit. I get him to talk every single weekend. Because yeah. I'm like, do you want to go fast? You have to say, I want to go fast. And Stone will say, I want to go fast. That's it's it. like, okay, buddy, then we're going to do this. And we run with him, and he has a blast. And the smile lights up his face. He's stoked. Now... I actually have footage of it I could show you after. You're going to be blown away. So this is the kid, like I said, couldn't tie his shoes, couldn't get, couldn't get out of the car by himself pretty much. Now we've got him pushing, like standing on the skateboard, front foot on, puts the back foot on the ground, two pushes, back foot on, adjust your feet, bend your knees, roll down the pyramid and across the whole park. Independent of anyone helping him. And Amazing. Him. Yeah. Totally mind-blowing that they never thought he'd be able to do, and they discredited him. Yeah. They didn't give him a chance. That sucks. But it took the skateboarding <laughs> to show that he can do anything. It just has to interest him. Yeah. And, like, suddenly it's done great. So, and it's worked for a lot of other people. But interestingly enough, I think, like, with skateboarding, it isn't a tool to kind of open up someone's, like, uh, abilities and expression and, and, and uh, their creativity. They just need to find the palette. You know, I think, like, not everyone wants to be a musician. Not everyone wants to be a painter. Yeah. And sometimes skateboarding is that same kind of framework of your mind where you're like hmm, what can i do here because honestly once we rolled him down the pyramid one way we seriously took him by the shoulders and we like turned him 90 degrees and we're like but look down the pyramid this way stone and he was like oh like a whole new place if i roll down this side he reminds me of myself <laughs> he was so excited to try a new direction you know? I, I always i always think about skateboarders and i always talk to people that don't skate and i'm just like i'm like if you want healthy happy people you need people that are sweating you need people that are putting themselves in uncomfortable positions every day you need people that are thinking outside the box people that are trying to put puzzles together you need people that are active you need like and it's everything skateboarding is it's like you see a trick you want to do it you do all the wrong ways to find what works for you and then you just try to perfect it with your own style and while you're doing that you're like you're having ups and downs every day so you're like you're you're the champion when you land the trick, and when you don't, you're frustrated. And you're trying and trying to figure it out, and it's like 
every day you can have these victories in your life and it's something so beautiful about it I'm like dude we need more like uh, our world's full of people that are just like uh, they're not in good shape they work jobs they hate they're surrounded by negativity and just uh, routine and just like I look at a lot of people and I'm like that's not how we're supposed to be we need no. to have our I was like if you want to wake us up out of our um, lethargic ways the best way is to get your adrenaline going scare yourself mm-hmm. I don't care how old you are like just fucking break a sweat get your adrenaline going do something or, or, or do something new like try something outside your box like if you never skateboard to try it like go slow and try learn how to balance learn how to turn learn how to laugh and have humility and not be able to perfect something like skateboarding you can never win yeah. like video games you can beat the shit all day yeah. skateboarding there's no winning there's right. no like it's a lifelong thing so you always are trying and trying and trying you never have a um, I'm finished you have highs and lows all life you have a bunch of million I have I have endless amount of fun and triumphs every time I skate so I just think like uh, well, I think we need more shit like that in this world you, you know? see the progression like you're talking about like there's yeah. no there's no end in sight look at how far it's come I mean, you know, because when I was a kid, if you could like board slide a five star handrail, you were the big dog in town. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I mean, that kid who grinded that rail on the Thrasher website that was like forty stairs. Remember that? It was yeah. like yeah, the kid with the fedora on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that was the biggest set of stairs ever. Like that's just that's where we're at. And like the Nijas and the Chris Coles and the people you see in the street league shit. Like it's amazing to think like those dudes and and also a lot of people who aren't in that that genre of uh, skateboarding. But that's the cool thing about skateboarding too. Is like. There's so many different facets to it. Yeah. It's like you have those street league competitive dudes that are exceptional at contests and exceptional, but they have, you know, but then you have these street skaters that have this like raw, amazing style and feel and like flow that you can't match mm-hmm. in a skate park. You just, and then you have people that film these creative skate parks, uh, skate parks out in the streets and like, like so many different ways to express yourselves. That's another beauty, Donovan beautiful Piscopo. thing. Yeah. Or uh, Anthony Papalardo, who will never be on the street league garbage, but at the same time uh, bring a certain aesthetic that uh, I'm trying to think of that guy who recently had a part on uh, the Thrash website and hit the last, at the end of his part, there was like a couple snowboard tricks. It's like, oh, oh really? Snowboarding, yeah. And that dude's part was so creative and so ripping that like, you know, it reminded you of the, the Louis Barletta's of their days and like, yeah. you know, with that, like you never saw that coming. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. I remember big, remember there was magazines out, um, Strength? Yeah, it was like snowboarding, skateboarding. Man, that used to be more intertwined than it is nowadays. But uh, I noticed something going on in skateboarding recently. It's like everyone's coming out of the woodworks. I think skateboarding is fun again. I think that's what it is. I feel like it got so serious and so much money and so many like corny corporate people involved that it became all about like marketing schemes and pri- and becoming well, successful and da da da. And now it's like everyone's just trying to enjoy it because the whole collapse of everything and people are like, I don't know if shit's gonna be around. So fuck it now you see rollerbladers back you see bikers scooters like everyone's out rolling and i like it i don't even care i want everyone on skateboards but i'm just happy people are rolling and sweating and feeling your heartbeat absolutely um what's an interesting uh facet to that is that like with you and all i need or me with worship um there's oh, there's also dudes that like you can see really giving it their all too like you got russ pope bringing out transportation unit yeah uh and like russ was the original founder i think of um, creature long before it was green and black you know what I mean it was still gargoyles a long time ago yeah. that was Russ and his stuff's amazing man they did some crazy shit just recently like a Neil, Bl- a Neil Blender release and a bunch of other great stuff hand drawn graphics really intense but then you've got um, Jason over at Welcome Skateboards Welcome blew up but at the same time he's hand drawing the graphics he's keeping the shapes interesting he's making it fun again so I think like you've got real dudes like that that like 
are the industry. But Just at the, the same time, skateboard. they're bringing, yeah, they're, they're making it fun again instead of, like, you know, the corporate bullshit. Like, I've always said, like, I have to always use myself as an example because I've strayed away from the mainstream. But, like, uh, you know, I never wanted to be Habitat. I never wanted to have a designer that keeps the corporate image alive so that, you know, you know, a Habitat board looks like a Habitat board. You know yeah. what I mean? Same thing with most companies. There's going to be a certain aesthetic that keeps it, you know, repetitively consistent. They're trying to brand and market it. Absolutely. That's the shit I was talking about. Like, it got too serious. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they have to. They, they knew that their bottom line was in jeopardy if, they, if kids weren't recognizing them. With worship, I use a different artist every single time, and I hide the logo because I always say, you know what you bought. I don't need to put the logo on there. Yeah. You know what you got. So, like, it's, it's, it's such a different thing that, like, I, I think sometimes, too, I probably lost business because kids would come into, like, the Daily Grind skate shop, uh, that kid Kojal who was just here. Yeah. He, he rode for them. And uh, they go into Chuck's shop and they'd be like, yo, you got any worship? And Chuck would be like, there's six of them right behind you. <laughs> because I didn't have a logo board, you know what I mean? Yeah. That they'd be like, they just didn't recognize it and didn't take the time to find the logo hidden in the graphic or something. So in a weird way, it's like kids were seriously coming in looking to buy that death wish, that element, that... You know what I mean? That that branded product, like the Fibrodex, I guess, of certain ones. But yeah, I, yeah. And within all those companies too, like with my two stores, I still buy from some of those major companies, but I'll buy their one-offs. Like if Girl and Chocolate do like a series of one-offs that are hilarious, I'll buy those. I will never buy those stick figure bullshit. Yeah. Like I don't branded. need those girl logo decks. I don't even care about that shit. But I will definitely buy like the really funny, weird you know, creative ones that make you laugh, like constant doing something dumb. Like awesome. Yeah, cockfights. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah, that's totally, I love that shit. Um, let's see, uh, I want to flash back a bit. So I left, I started Skater Paradise with Horse. Um, during that period of time, we opened the three skate parks. I was doing, I was basically operations manager of the franchise. Um, I saw an opportunity to basically stock uh, my own brand within that, that framework because we had 5,000 kids a month coming through three doors. Um, I talked to Charlie Wilkins, your friend, and I basically was like, Chuck. Chuck. I was like, hey, man, I don't want to start this thing. Who do I talk to? Who do I call? He was running Blue Collar Distribution for Taylor yeah. at the time. I was in their video. Absolutely. Because of Charlie. Those dudes are great. <laughs> yeah, that was I mean, awesome. Uh, the video I, was sick. <laughs> absolutely. I, uh, I, I remember just asking him if he could help me out, and he hooked me up with um, Chris Atchison at South Central, and uh, I was able to get the first boards in. And I put them on the shelves, and we blew them out of the three stores. And then, like, you know, it's supply and demand. We, we, we ran out, we make more, ran out, we make more. And some, some kid goes, how come you don't have a website? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't think this was a business. Like, I just really was making a couple of boards to sell to my friends and to the people who came through the door. Yeah. So uh, I was like, should I have a website? So then I created a, a crappy-ass website. First website sale we get, Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, how cool. the hell did that guy <laughs> find us? Cool. Like, blows me away. Um, I think uh, he was a kid who came through Massachusetts and got a sticker and then went home and like you know because otherwise I can't imagine how he located us in some you did your job though if they were hyped in Indiana like we need that worship board (laughs) so um, yeah basically that was kind of the the beginning the origin of the brand Uh, and then slowly those parks died out things hit the fan they closed down the last one got sold out and I basically came home with nothing because I was a 10% partner in that and I got 10% of zero um, so that's not good. Yeah, the only thing I ended up with is the mini ramp behind the, the garage. Oh, that's good, though. That came out of Framingham. That thing's awesome. And uh, actually, I have all the handrails from Framingham, too. They're on the side of the garage. Damn, sick. So, like, if I ever get to open this indoor skateboard park in Connecticut, I'm just basically going to use those, and I've got all that pool coping. It's like there's so much, like, stuff ready to go. Yeah. Actually, I've found a bunch of buildings. I've looked at so many buildings in the last 
two to three years. Um, and I, I think I've got a finally a consistent lead, but every building in Norwich needs like uh, handicap accessible bathrooms or new electrical and they're not up to code and you have to change the zoning from like commercial to assembly. So it makes it so that for as much as I want to open that indoor skateboard park locally to fill the void, it's impossible based on the demographic or the, I guess the, the nature of the, the zone is there's a lot of buildings that were built in 1970 or 1880. The, none of them are up to code. So in a weird way, like you can't just move in key ready. Yeah, and that's you gotta what I'm have fighting. that startup loot to get it going. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I got an investor. I just can't find a building. That's crazy. But it's, it, in the next couple months, before winter hits, uh, there will be a, a demo for all I need at the new indoor skateboard park. Yeah. In as soon as I get it going. Yeah, you guys but, need one. You yeah. have a lot of outdoor parks, which is sick, which will help breed all these fucking shredders. So when winter comes, they're all coming to you. Mm-hmm. you know? Actually, to, to lead into that, so I uh, just please build it right. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm going to call um, Merck. I'm going to call Merck, oh, uh, East Coast Ramp Design. Uh, Chris Merkel and those, all those dudes. Yeah, hell Bado yeah. and all those dudes, they'll come through and they'll do it. Those yeah. are the guys who built Framingham for us. Actually, I think they built Bourne, too. Um, so I came back home with nothing besides the ramp in the backyard and, like, Worship was a new brand and a little bit of money because I was paid pretty well at Skate Paradise. And I basically decided, screw it, I'm going to start my own, like, brand and I'm going to push it harder. Because up in that point, I really had only made maybe 500 boards and sold them. I really hadn't done anything yet. So I basically came home. Um, I opened up a shop across the river, and it's the same shop we have now. Um, it's been there 10 years. Um, and in the beginning, it was just an office for worship. It was really legitimately like a showroom of one rack of the brand-new sweatshirt, couple racks of the brand new t-shirt, you know what I mean? And like then the wall of the boards that we had put out to, to date, but it was like clean. It was an office. There was like palm trees and tiki's and it was kind of fun. But now it's like that Polynesian motif with all the tiki's it like, it's the whole room. Cause people would come back from Hawaii or somewhere in the Philippines or somewhere. And they would all bring me tiki masks because they knew that the shop had tiki masks. So they wanted like, there's one behind you from Indonesia, but it's a little too freaky to put in the Whoa. store, but that one's intense. That one is way sick. Isn't that nuts? You can, you can actually, it's coconut hair. You can put your face in it and the jaw moves. What? It's totally, it should be in a horror movie. It's terrifying. Like it's so, so gnarly. Fuck. Um, <laughs> right. So, um, Anyway, I came back, I opened the store, and then I realized the skate park sucks. So I went up and talked to the park and rec guy, and I said, listen, man, this thing's a dog kennel. If I raise some money, will you let me fix it? And he came in and like, yeah, sure, kid, sure. Fix it, figuring that, yeah, like me, it's I all talk. Shit, You're not yeah. going to do it anyway. So Stupid then, stoner his, skateboarder. Yeah, and he was like, uh, <laughs> his name was Luis Depina. And Lou was the park and rec director, and actually, it's interesting. We built a friendship over the years, and it was all those tough loved ones where, like, continually I would do projects and raise money and make donations, and he had to just eat it and be like, like what Damn. are you going to do now? I, I got to the point I could walk in his office like, and be like, Lou, I got an idea. And he'd be like, what do you want to do now? <laughs> but, I mean, I would do a summer camp where I would say, listen, um, every kid signs up as $120 for the week, which is cheaper than anyone else's summer camp. Yeah. $120 for the week. Um, all the money goes to the skate park. I'll get my guys, like the guys you met earlier today and outside. They'll volunteer. I'll run the whole thing. I used to work at Woodward. Like, I can totally micromanage this whole thing. And, like, basically, like, I do 10 weeks of 10 kids at $1,200 a week. So you figure there's twelve grand from basically, like, nothing, from zero to twelve grand in 10 weeks. Yeah, but the idea awesome. was really that, like, donate all the money. So I was able to raise thirty eight grand and rebuild that skate park because of the benevolence of the people that were willing to donate their time and help me to do it. So like I had a lot of good volunteers, a lot of good friends, a lot of good support. Um, even like the contest you were at today. I mean, like we've been doing these contests for years and like, I just have to ask and these dudes still show up. They bring the PA or they bring the whatever. And it's like, everyone's just down to help because they can see like, we've had a, a, a place in our heart, 
uh, and, a, and a sense of like good nature about this for so long that they just know that it's for the right reasons. They're not going to say no. They're going to show up. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And, and actually, at this point, the people who weren't going to show up have already burned themselves out, and they're not part of the situation anymore. So now it's the good. Only the people that you need to call, you call, and they're there. That's awesome. Uh, I like that family. Today went really well. It was positive. It I was, was super really fun. stoked. I was like impressed with uh, who was on the mic. That's Bob Stevenson. Yeah, Bob was really good on the mic, and uh, I really enjoyed. I couldn't believe the turnout. It was a great, great turnout for it. Got rained out the day before. Yeah. So then everyone still showed up today, and it was fucking awesome. It, it kind of it just reminded me of like what I do with all I need. Yeah. So what we do too, we throw contests and demos in certain areas and we have a big enough following that everyone knows it's going to be a positive awesome day and everyone's going to get some credit for their hard work on their skateboard no one's going to judge each other we're all just going to have a great time and that's you guys nailed it Today. Yeah, well, I, I want to just say thanks to the sponsors too. They're, I don't know if they're ever going to hear this, but they will. I got to say a big shout Trust out me. to um, like obviously um, Volcom is huge. Um, there's a story that I want to throw in here, um, and this is on a, a kind of a tangent, I guess. Go on. But um, this one's really neat. So back uh, in 2005, I, I met an artist named Joe Baker. Um, Joe had a roommate who passed away named Scott Stamus. I never never met Scott, but. I basically, when I saw the boards, I was like, I saw the art, excuse me, and I was like, these are beautiful paintings. I would love to put these on skateboards. And Joe was like, oh, those are my friend Scott who passed away. I painted those in his honor. That'd be great. I was like, let's raise some money for a fund. So there's a Scott Stamus Give to Kids Fund. And uh, so we put the boards out, and uh, I didn't know it, but Joe had already worked, uh, had already done a, a T-shirt for Volcom. Uh, in regard to Scott, right when Scott passed away. Scott is one of the original riders for Volcom. In the Freedom Wig video, which is a long time ago, yep. there was a guy like riding on a fishing boat that was yep. really odd footage. That's Scott. Oh, no um, shit. Yeah, and he, he, the, the boat was the Chichigoff, which is why they named their other video Chichigoff, Off the Hook. And the Chichigoff used to go up to Alaska to fish for kingfish salmon. Uh, and um, they basically... Um, he would bring like uh, skateboards and things for the Inuit kids and hook them all up and teach them to ride. It was just a super great dude. I, I talked to so many people from his father, Captain Mike Stamless, to his uh, mom, Pamela Kyle Stamless, and so many people. And like, uh, I just learned so much about him. Like, he was such a positive spirit and soul. Like, he was a bigger than life personality that, that gave everything all the time. He was superhuman. If there was like angels on earth, he had that power to reach out and touch. His magnetism was heavy. You know? Hell yeah. Super good dude. Um, so I got a phone call right after those boards came out because I, I didn't realize it, but Joe had sent out a bullet, probably like a, like a, you know, email like, Hey everybody just did these boards about Scott with worship skateboards. Check it out. And he sent it out to his database. He had already done a t-shirt for Volcom about Scott anyway. So, um, it was a good follow up then. Yeah. And in a weird way, like I didn't realize it, but the owner of Volcom, Richard Wolcott was in that mailing list. So Richard Wolcott called me and that's weird because that's like Donald Trump calling or something. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> on the other end of the thing, cause he said Richard Wolcott and I was like, what can I do for you, Richard? Like, I didn't know who the fuck that was. Like, <laughs> yeah, Dick, what do you want? <laughs> well, I, was like, I didn't know, but I just, I was like, I was like, hey, Rich, what's going on? He's like, it's Richard, man. <laughs> and, uh, and so he was cool, and we chatted for a couple, and uh, he told me, like, he's like, uh, I want to get these boards. We were friends with Scott. Uh, he was a great dude, and I said, well, I'll send them right over. Like, I was like, I'm going to mail these things right out. And he's like, no, no, we want to buy them, and we want to support you. So 
at that point in time, um, Steve Stratton, who did the website at the Hell time, yeah. which is Remy's Steve's brother, the man, yeah. he's a good dude, um, he reached out and they put up a page. It's still up, too. I, it's a, I have a link to it somewhere. But um, they put up the boards and like they hyped worship on the Volcom website in That's 2005. Huge, yeah. My website went from like 11,000 hits to 40,000 hits in like a week. Wow, and like that was a lot of free press. And if you think about it, they're like... They're huge, and we were a speck of sand on the beach. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they were nice to do that. And so um, then in 2008, we re-released the boards one more time, but there was a particular painting called The Reunion. We had put the, the one of the man up, but we had never put up his dog, Billy Rainbow, because when Scott died, his dog, Billy Rainbow, died right after. Like, no will to live. And interestingly enough, one of the stories that I had heard was that, um, I think from his girlfriend or maybe from Joe, was that... Billy Rainbow, the dog, knew before the family did that Scott had passed. Like how people have connections with their animals. Yeah, yeah, um, I've heard that. The dog's head was under the bed and sulking and crying uh, the night that uh, Scott was killed in Europe uh, by he was hit by a car. And uh, the, but the, the crazy part was, like, the dog knew, and then the parents didn't receive word till the next day. But the dog, they didn't know what was wrong with the dog all night. They had no idea what was wrong with the dog. That's Turned crazy. out the dog knew. That's crazy. Is that intense? Yeah, that's very crazy. And, um, but so uh, the, the the connection with those guys, they've been really cool to me over the years. Joe's been great. We've done a huge series with Joe Baker, too, besides his stamina series boards. We've probably done 11 other boards with him, and they're all genius. He's a super cool dude. He now uh, he converts uh, old Volkswagen buses. He puts Subaru engines in them, and they co- they can become Subagons. That's <laughs> what they're called. Sick. Like Subaru wagon. Wow. And uh, they're, they're off-road Volkswagen Buses, so you take them off like a jeep would go off road. Yeah, you take these these off road. They're gnarly. What the fuck? Subagon. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, Joe Baker net. I think is what his thing is. He's he's gnarly shit. Um, we have to look it up. Um, okay, and I don't know. Um, where were we? So basically, I came home and started worship. It was just a, kind of a, an idea that had started to grow. Uh, I started raising money for the local skate parks, uh, and then I opened the first skate shop. Um, and then basically I only carried basic stuff. I carried indies. I carried some blank wheels, I think at the time and like reds bearings. It was kind of like so simple. If you came in, like I could make you a complete, but it wasn't out of anything. It was just like these simple parts that were positive and my brand of boards. And then I realized I was like, you know what? There isn't really any more skate shops around here. There really wasn't a seven ply up in Westerly is like a genius skate shop. Uh, that place was great. Ted from, uh, Ted Rice owned it. Yeah. He was always a monster. Like, the best dude ever. Like Ted he, works for LRG now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. He's great. And I mean I monster, talk, like, in I a good s- way. Like, he was he was doing, he was doing... I knew him when he owned Galvanized, and I had Slick 66 with that raver dude. Yeah. So, like, we knew each other since, like, 95. Wow. And so it was years later, he had 7ply, which I used to shop at. Amazing store. Ted, um, Ted's an interesting dude, too. I talked with him at um, uh, Atlantic City Trade Show for, like, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. We just had an awesome conversation about life and skating. He was a very cool dude. Oh, yeah, he's, he's he's one of the best. I I would send him business for years. Like I was always like, kids would come in. You got snowboards? No, go see Ted. You got this? Go see Ted. Because like I don't I don't honestly know if he ever knew that or if he ever ever sent anyone my way. But I was always like I was respected that he had one of the best skate shops I had ever seen. Yeah. So like I wasn't trying to be a skate shop. I'm trying to be a national brand. So in a weird way, like I look at my shop as servicing the local kids who don't have a car or gas money. And they just, it's their shop. It's their hometown shop. But, uh, and when he wanted to get everything, we'll just go see Ted. He has everything. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't competition to me. He was like the bigger fish in that market. Um, so I basically, I had the brand running and all of a sudden opportunities started to come with different marketing opportunities. Things started to open up. Um, and I was able to kind of get the boards into some different places. Um, What's interesting is the development of the graphics, which is what made the difference is I was able to to walk this line of being an art house brand. So like with Gary Jacobs selling twenty to forty thousand dollar paintings, 
Um, and, and let me say this too. What's interesting about the way I do it is most people have a graphic designer choose the art or to make the art or, hey, I have a concept. Can you make this concept? With me, I always said to the artist, like, don't make me anything. I don't want you to make me a single thing. I want to basically go, what were you up at four in the morning working on that you couldn't sleep till you finished it? Because that's the piece that has the energy that I want. And like I made the joke, it could be on a Frisbee if we love Frisbees. But as a skater, like that energy, if I take a, a snippet of that art and put that on a skateboard, when a kid walks into a skate shop and he's like, skate shop, and he's like, you know, plan B, death wish, element, whatever, whatever, whatever. What the fuck is that? You can tell when someone... Boom! It's like, it has that energy. You can tell when someone's put uh, mastered a craft and put their heart and soul into their work, their mm-hmm. artwork, their whatever. That's why I'm so hyped on the artists that we work with. It's like, you can tell. You know what I mean? Like, when you can tell when someone does something, like, when you see someone who's really fucking good at what they do. Definitely. Not just marketing, not just branding, not just the plain logo, but you can just tell when someone's put their... Well, when you said those were hand-drawn, I was hyped on that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but... That's always awesome that you do that because artists are like creative, amazing, creative, out the box people that put their they put it into their work, you know. So everything I've seen, it's got a feeling to it. And that's what it should, I think that you're supposed to have a, a certain connection to it because anything you've ever saved as a kid, whether it be a comic book or, or anything over the years, it's because something in it made you graphically stimulated. You were like, "Ooh, I like that. I like the color. I like the pop. I like the lines. Whatever it is." I'll give you one example. There's a guy that I met through a diner. Uh, he's an 80-something-year-old man. He's been painting watercolor for like almost his entire existence. Um, what's really cool is he puts color on the canvas at night. So he walks up, blah blah blah, puts like a couple of dots on the canvas goes to bed wakes up the next morning well you know how you wake up in the morning and you're like you got stuff in your eyes and you're thinking about <laughs> coffee and you're like trying to find the bathroom we got one eye working like that's when he walks up and he starts to paint because at that point you're not thinking about painting a dog or a cat or a thing it's whatever those dots look like yeah. it's pure subconscious so i joke that his his paintings are really subconscious wanderings he really walks up and uses the back brain to like from that moment of half asleep to pull out something from those dots and every single piece he does is like that which means we all see something in all of his work because it's tapping into a part of our brain we don't use all the time he's use he's communicating through it yeah. but we are seeing it subconsciously even though we're in our conscious state so i really dig that like his work is fucking awesome he's 80 years old and like he tells stories about how when he was running scripts on the Paramount lot, Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy almost ran him over in a golf cart. Like <laughs> his stories are the best shit ever. Like he's so cool. His name is Don Eccleston. So uh, yeah. I actually I helped make a book for him called Hair Raising Tales, and hair is spelt wrong, and so is tails. Oh, I see. Hair Raising <laughs> Tales, and um, it's it's a really it's a book of all of his art. You can go on WorshipSkateboards.com and look under Don Eccleston, and like his book is there. It's a little expensive because we honestly we made it. In uh, iPhoto, how you can make an album, yeah, and like you know they'll print you an album for like forty nine dollars or something. Yeah, like that. I've done it. It's like that. We charge like sixty five bucks. It's enough to like make the book and ship it to you. But it is all of his artwork. They're one. Of, we're making and printing them one at a time. If someone orders it, it's not like there's a, a case of these. But he never had a book or a way to show off his art. And he had a great story to tell. So one day he, we sat down with a pot of coffee and like I. I photoed him like together all of his artwork and it's kind of a cute thing when you see it the cover is great it's really neat so if anyone knows Don Eccleston check it out it's wild hell yeah man that's awesome so so I guess uh, so you got the two shops you're still trying to expand on the skate park yeah correct Um, you also work a day job no no. no, so this are, this is your yeah. Day worship, job. worship, and the two skate shops are are my job. Okay, so job. you run two shops. 
you got the brand and you're working on building the skate community in Connecticut as well with through building better skate parks and throwing events and yeah there's always uh, there's always another event um, that, that's a, a quick one I'll try and tap into so like when we built the Norwich Skate Park we raised the 38000 and revitalized it um, Baltic became that uh, proposition where we got that built and then Jewett City came along where I just really gave the information that I used to consult the towns because I always say like a town doesn't want to listen to a bunch of 12 year olds complain that they don't have a place to go yeah. you sell it as like listen this skate park is an asset to community. It will bring in moms with disposable income because it's a destination location. And then those people with disposable income will uh, utilize your local businesses, therefore increasing your bottom line and your traffic through your town. So in a weird way, they're thinking economically it's better for the town if they have a better skate park. That's how you sell it to a city council. They don't want to hear that like a couple of kids don't have a place to go. They don't we care. We are at Walmart and they yelled at us. Yeah. So we like, need somewhere to go. <laughs> and, and they're sick of that. So like they need you or me to go in there and sell it the right way. And I push it. But through that, um, I was able to get Norwich built, Baltic built, Jewett City built. Um, Deep River, where I have my second store, there wasn't a park in the town, but I convinced the town through a letter of recommendation from this mayor who was happy about all we've done here. It gave me an entrance into his office in Deep River, and he said, I got kids in the Adams parking lot, which is a supermarket. He's like, and I don't know what to do with them, and they don't want to leave, and we're sick of writing tickets, and their parents are getting, and I was like, listen, let's just build them a park. Gave them all the info, helped them out, got, and I always have them hire Jeff Paparacki, that friend that skates the mini ramps. I basically, every time I'm like, you can go with company A or B or this guy. They have nice catalogs. They have salesmen. Jeff doesn't have a catalog. He doesn't have a salesman. He has me. And then he puts everything he has into the cement. He's an artist with cement. That's what he is. Absolutely. And he's not a great salesman. He's, he's not good at selling himself to these organizations. But I am. So I always go in and say, like, listen, you want the guy in the shirt and tie with the really expensive catalog that builds ramps that suck, that no one likes, that charges well, give, you 10 Give times? that example of that one with the metal ramps. You don't have oh, to yeah. throw out names or anything, but that was kind of yeah. a crazy story with how that happened. So after, so I'll, I'll give one quick one in between, and then I'll go right to that. So um, after I got the Deep River Park built, um, that guy is a first selectman, and he's a state cop. He's a constable. Well, the next town over, East Haddam, which is the park that everyone loves and is so stoked on these days, that first selectman talked to the other first selectman was like, hey, we got problems in our town, too. How'd you fix it? And they said, talk to Jeff Blayman. Like, he helped us in Deep River. So I went into one meeting in East Haddam, which is Moody's, and they paid me as a consultant, which never happens. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, this is all out of pocket, gas, time, everything. Yeah. They paid me. It was one meeting. They built the park, and it came out amazing. So, like, boom. Total amazing story of, like, success. Opposite That's side of that coin, um, Willimantic. Willimantic is my greatest achievement. I was the only skater that was ever at those meetings pushing to make that happen. But a guy named Dennis Cronin would always call me and be like, can you make the meeting tonight, Jeff? And he had showed me a lot of dedication. So, like, I was like, I'll make the meeting. I'll make the meeting. And I got sick of going to these meetings. I mean, they they're, they're boring, they're bureaucratic, and now we're getting Hours. nowhere. And I've already said everything I can say for the last 17 meetings. Yeah. So you want me to say it again? Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of kept going, I kept going. And uh, when I when I, I arrived, the, the thing that they had done is American Ramp Company had come in and offered to, to do a bid. And they have the catalog. They have the salesman. It's a $100,000 skate park. Metal ramps. Metal, they were going to do blue metal ramps. And they were going to $100,000 worth of garbage. Now, what ended up happening was I couldn't think of any way to sway them. So I said, I'm going to pull out the only thing I can do. And it's turning a bad thing into a, a, at least into a good thing in a way. There's a kid, unfortunately, who perished in Moosip, Connecticut at a metal skate park made by 
uh, that I believe that particular company. Um, and basically, um, it, it was like a guy riding a bike in the rain on ramps and yada, 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 no helmet. Metal so super. it was probably more the kid's fault than anything. But what I, I proposed, purported was that, um, you know, do you want to build a park out of the same blue metal ramps that someone's died on in another town, or do you want to build it by this guy, Jeff Poprocky, who's built all these other parks that I've helped him to get, where no one's ever died ever, and kids love all these parks. Zero and genius. casualties. Zero casualties. <laughs> so, like, there you go. Which which one do you feel more comfortable with knowing the track record? It's, it's right now, it's a one to zero. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh... They, they ended up going with it. And so now Willimantic is the best skate park in Connecticut, and it's badass. People come from everywhere. But that one, to me, was the one that I fought the longest, made no money. Everything about it was bullshit. But in the end, it's like a triumph. So, And it's it's funny. I don't want credit for it. I don't want to get pat on the back. I'm happy just that it was built well. But I am always confused when I hear that other people were involved in getting it built and all these other things that it's like it's all kind of hearsay and bullshit yeah. it's like I don't know I was at every single one of those meetings I didn't see anybody's face yeah, yeah. so there's a little bit of that in there where I'm like really you know because actually I was supposed to open a skate park in that town um, and then a friend of ours happened to open an escape park in that town. And rather than go in and have any kind of competing situation, uh, I decided, like, I don't need a third shop. He beat me to it. It's all yours, man. He stocks worship. That's totally cool with me. So it was a great way for him to source that market and to, to be that guy. Uh, and it, it would have been a burden on me to open a third shop anyway at the time. Uh, but uh, I happen to say, like, Willimantic, as far as skate parks, when you get a chance to go to it, man... I gotta go. It'll blow your mind. Everyone who's gone is, like, praised it. And we're, like, two hours away or something, like, ridiculous. And uh, in New Bedford, Mass., the shop that I skate for, Solstice uh, Skate Shop, they uh, have... Every year they do bus trips to yeah. Willimantic. Everyone pays, like, a couple bucks, and they get enough people that it's, like, dirt cheap. And then everyone goes and gets drunk on the bus and fucking goes out and shreds the skate park. And no, that's fantastic. A, yeah, they have a blast, and I've yet to go just because I've been traveling and skating, and every time it's, like, I'm busy. So, But every time I'm, like, I gotta go. And it's definitely a... It's well-known in New England. Willimantic is well, well-known, so good job. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> People love it. Uh, I appreciate it. Because in New England, we don't have those types of skate parks. Like, we do now. Like, in Connecticut, apparently, you have a lot of them. But for me, in Massachusetts, there's not much like that. And I remember going to California and seeing what they have compared to what we have. And I'm like, there's something wrong here. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the situation's skewed. So, I mean, yeah. it was between Venice Beach... Uh, when I was just there, just to think that's a public skate park on the beach with three enormous bowls, and it's beautiful, and it's it's amazing. And everywhere else I would go, I'd see, like, huge public parks that are just, like, half a million dollars, quarter million dollars. Here, it's like, we're beg borrowing and stealing to raise money for a $40,000 park that sucks. I think it's just that blue-collar, like, um, old-school way of thinking the adults here. I mean, that's going to slowly phase out just because we're becoming the adults. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's just that old, like, uh, immigrant mentality. Like, they work so damn hard, and they got to hustle to survive in the weather in the winter makes people harder and bitter bitter yeah. so they're not as relaxed and open to different ideas you know yeah. but it's slowly changing you know you go out to california and it's like everyone's mom and dad probably smokes weed and they're 40 50 they're and they're all relaxed back. and they're hanging out with their kids and surf culture and it's like they're open to way different stuff out there and That's i've true. always noticed that like a hard-working non no nonsense blue collar people like not hyped on the idea of being a skateboarder you know it's changing though because slowly Surely we become the generation that's in charge. I was kind of talking about that earlier. I really, I feel like more people need to step up, including myself. Like, I feel like we need to, I think it's a weird transition when you go from a teenage, from a kid to a teenager to an adult. I think there's no defining moment. 
where you realize that you are the adult, that you are the person that has to make shit happen. You know what I mean? And I think that's a beautiful, I think that's actually when you decide, when you become an adult is when you realize that, okay, I'm in charge. Like, this is my world. This is our moment right now. We need to have leaders and people that are inspiring, and I am going to become that. You know what I mean? And that's when you actually become an adult, when you realize that you have power and influence and you use it to create awesome shit, you know? I think more people need to realize that early on, you know? People need to, like, not shelter each other. We need to give kids the honest truth so they can digest. They can get all the information, digest it at a young age. You can guide them, and then they can become little leaders and little balls of inspiration at a younger age. And uh, I think we need more of that. Absolutely. I think it's glad. that's why I'm glad that people like you out there exist that are, like, doing awesome contests, doing awesome – open up skate shops, open up all these things so you can get all these kids in here, passionate kids, and just kind of give them a – a healthy outlet and let them grow and develop and be honest with them. I, I just, I feel like, uh, with the internet, there's no, uh, it's just total transparency now mm-hmm. and it's going to even get even crazier. Eventually you can't lie. It's just, we're all connected. So it's like everyone sees, it's like if you, you look now, if your friend told you one day, he's like, Oh, I'm, I can't hang out, dude. I fucking, I got to do this. And you look on the Instagram he's like doing something else. You're like, Oh, you can't lie. You can't, you just can't lie nowadays. You know what I mean? Well, like, my favorite one is there's always kids who I let have tabs at the store that are like too broke to buy something one day and you don't want to see them not have what they need. So I'm like, well, just pay me at the end of the week. And then like the end of the week comes and then the end of the week next week comes and I'm like, yeah, are you going to come pay this tab? He's like, dude, I don't have any money. I was like, motherfucker, I just saw you're going to Six Flags tomorrow on Facebook. <laughs> surfing, you were eating surfing turf last night. You know? <laughs> so yeah, totally. But, but I feel like in the new world, and I feel like we are, what, what's kind of happening with the whole uh, economy and the crash and everything is it's kind of like everything's burnt down yeah so now we have to rebuild Mm -hmm. you know and that's why we need artists that's why we need creatives that's why we need passionate people because things aren't easy right now but we need people that have a vision and that have tunnel vision and really want to create shit regardless if they're making a profit or not they just want to do it because it's their love their passion those are the people that are going to build the future because they have something that's pushing them forward and striving not just people like i need to make money and dollars and numbers and digits and i'm a good fucking student and do that skateboarders are, are, are are true to that sense that uh you know we've all been broke for so long and suffered through it that like I mean, the money's never been the, the motivating the factor moment, with skateboarding yeah. because skateboarding's always been its own motivating factor. If you happen to make money in skateboarding, you're very fortunate. Yeah, and then, good for but you. You're, but you're still doing it because you love to skateboard. Like, even with worship, like, and, uh, I'll give you an example. The second Ideal Skate Shop opened because my, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, I think it's cute how you have a store in Norwich. I wish I had a store. And I was like, why don't you have a store? Let's just look at it as simple math. You need to get a Connecticut sales and use tax ID. You need to buy some shit wholesale, and you need to sit there. Like, those are the three things you need to do to open a store. You don't need to do anything else. Yeah. Just do this. Now, granted, you need a little bit of capital because you got to buy some stuff. And you need to have time or be able to at least afford to try and break it in. But really, the steps are simple enough where, like, give it a shot. So she did, and she opened up an art gallery called Signatures, uh, and she sold all this stuff that was very Etsy-based, and it was really cute. But since Worship is primarily an art-based brand, there was always Worship boards between the windows in the back. There was always five boards. Well... Over the course of a year, she sold a ton of worship boards to local skaters by Sick. accident in an art gallery because um, it was closer than going anywhere else. Yeah, and since your work, your skateboards are art. Yeah, so she, it's it made fit. sense, you know. So yeah. at the end, and she'd be like, "Can I get some bearings? These kids want bearings." And just, so she'd always hit me up to like do special orders. Like, calm down, you're going to be taking this? me out. No, no. But so I always used to like give her like a box of junk just to have behind the counter in case they needed it. But after a year was up, she was like, "Listen, I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. This place isn't working out as an art gallery." And I was like, "Well, how about I just take it over?" 
over and make it a skate shop because that's what it seems like it is anyway. Yeah. And she was like, that's a good idea. So, like, I inadvertently ended up with an, a second skate shop. I mean, accidentally. I didn't even plan to open it. It just made sense to keep it because it wasn't what she wanted. It just turned out to be what I wanted. I, you know, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah. So I just said, that's another one of those, like, life just worked out. I didn't mean to have two stores. I just accidentally ended up with two. Yeah. So, uh... Because, like I said, the first one was just an office. And then people kept coming in. You got this, you got that, you got this. And I was like, I should probably get some different bearings. Yeah, know, like, yeah. And like, it, it, now it's now it's a full-on craziness. Um, but so, uh, yeah, so I basically ended up at the store by accident. Um, what I think is kind of cool about, like, having the stores, though, is the connection. Like, when we do the events, when we have, like, signings and, and we have kind of, like, demos and we have open houses and jams and art contests and all the little things that are like events because you have to be part of the community i love the idea that like people look forward to participating in the things that we do because it's always exciting because it's different yeah it's not like the same crap they're going to do at city hall for whatever seasonal event in the lighting of the whatever like our stuff is always random like i do this thing uh for worship skateboards where um i would go into i use black bear actually in hartford which was amazing um, and I, I partnered up with Narragansett, uh, and uh, we went in. We Narragansett Birko. Yeah, 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 those dudes are great. Yeah. Uh, Sean McQuaid was my guy over there. I love that dude. Um, they basically, like, sponsored it, gave us beer to give away. Uh, the money that we raised at the door, we gave to charity. People got to paint on boards that we supplied. There were some gift certificates for the runners-up to, like, art supply warehouses. And then at the end of a three-hour period, we picked the winner out of all those boards, and it became a board on worship as a national release. So that's the grand prize was getting your board distributed around the country. Oh, and, uh, and we sell in about 30 states, 32 states, almost 80 skate shops. That's like the high point of where worship is and has been. Currently, like I said, we're kind of out of new stock. So, I mean, I guess we're selling in zero at the moment. Yeah. But that's only a matter until the new ones come in. And then I call everybody and say, look, we got some new shit, you know. But uh, I think that's really cool that, like, you know, for the artists, they went to a bar and drank free beer and they got their stuff for their portfolio now that they can say, like, I was, I had to skateboard out around the country. Yeah, it's that's kind of nifty. That's but very That's sick. the kind of weird event that I like to do that, like, crosses over between the art world. Um, worship, if you want to grab that piece of paper on top there just so you can see it, I do art competitions and art gallery shows everywhere. So we always have worship art shows because you can see they're completely bizarre. Um, and yeah, it's it very cool. gives me an opportunity to kind of showcase the brand as art to people who buy art not just skaters because the art that we're picking isn't skate art it's just art and it happens if skaters like the art well then that's great it's a seven ply maple amazing north american made skateboard it's fantastic but if you happen to just think that the two boards we did in africa with some artists from Gowana are tight and you want to hang them in your fucking loft apartment in new york city yeah buy those two boards because they are dope they're perfect skateboards hanging skateboard is art is perfect for anyone absolutely much. it's like a perfect um it's like um, canvas for it, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's good shape, everything, it looks good. It, it I have fits in weird head. walls and tiny little spaces. Like, yeah, yeah, I love that shit. Yeah, it's perfect. That. That's cool, man. Well, um, yeah, I guess we're going to we're gonna call it a quits right here. We're at an hour and 35, man. Um, really? Yeah, That's crazy. a long time. That it flies. Like yeah, it flies. It always flies. Um, I guess uh, how I want to end it, usually, well, how I usually end it is... Um, you, I kind of give you an opportunity to um, tell people where they can contact you and, and kind of promote your skate shop and your uh, and worship. Sure. So if there's any social media sites, websites, or any events coming up or whatever you'd like to plug right now, yeah, feel sure. free to let people know. Well, if you're in Connecticut, we have two stores. We have one in Norwich, Connecticut, near the two casinos. If you're ever near Foxwoods or Mohegan Sun, right next to those. Norwich, Connecticut, and Deep River, Connecticut. And it's called The Ideal Skate Shop. 
Uh, you can find us on any major, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. It's all everything. Just type it in. You'll find it. The Ideal Skate Shop. Uh, Worship Skateboards is our art-based brand. Uh, just look up worshipskateboards.com and go through the artist series boards and just look at them for fun and see which one you like and see which one, you know, you want to hang in your house. I bet you there's one in there that you're stoked on that you had no idea existed. So There's that, some amazing stuff in there. I've checked them out. I've actually been to the shop and you were showing me, like, picking them up. Just, damn, I was like, this shit blows me away. There's stories. Uh, I mean, it's funny. Let's give one last example. It's like Arturo Correa paints murals on bullfighting stadiums in Venezuela. He has a board out by us. Like, shit yeah. like that. We were just like, that's completely bizarre, but I want to hang that. So, yeah, worshipskateboards.com. Check it out. And uh, I always say, like, you know, our, our tagline is worship the ideal, not the idol. So. You know. Perfect. And, uh, yeah, thank you for everything, Jeff. Thanks, man. Real nice. You're Appreciate rad, it. man. And I, and I, I uh, before we go, I, what I wanted to ask you that I kept forgetting was, uh, do you ever feel like, I don't know how you do it. You're reciting names and all this stuff. I, do you feel like you're, you have like a hard drive? Does it ever get full? Like I, feel, I have like lifetimes. I feel like, do you feel that way? I, I, I feel like I have to be selective. Like I hate horror movies. I can't watch them because I have this kind of like eidetic memory or like I can basically see a movie if I've watched it and I can see things and I pick up on really weird uh, like like Subtle details and things like uh, if something happens in a room like I see like weird points around the room of those things happening so like I ha- I'm kind of almost I've learned to be selective in what I allow myself to take in because I, I don't want to store all the garbage too yeah so like I, I feel like certain things yeah like they, they get ingrained and like I'm a little bit robotic that way like I, I kind of know things in and out, inside and out if I want to know it yeah I feel like it's part of me now if know? you're like passionate about yeah, it yeah it's, in there, it's in there for good I'm yeah so stuck. I sit back and I'm like certain things jar my memories and I'm like holy shit that was like a whole lifetime ago I think it has to be with I think it has to do with being in the moment I think the more you're in the moment the more you're stimulated and the more you take in and then it's like the river you were talking about in the beginning it's like if you're always in the river it's like constant stimulation so you're always like whoa what's that what's that whoa watch out for that so like it's just like you experience so much life because you're always in motion so like yeah, you seem like an individual that's always in motion. So it's like I always wonder how people can remember so much stuff and you've done so much and you recall it like it was yesterday. I have a hard time with that. Well, I remembered like when you did that tray flip over the big pyramid at and the I island didn't. in that footage. <laughs> but what's curious, I think as a videographer too, if you talk to videographers who really are passionate about filming, you want to capture moments to give to other people to see in the way that you see them. So you've, you've already recorded it in your own mind. Yeah. When you put it on film or on tape, you're basically like you're you're saying like I, I want to save this. So like you're already kind of uh, uh, a bit of a, a like a pack rat of information anyway that you're capturing moments that you're saving. And I think that that's a videographer is like someone who's like, but if I make it this way, you can see it too. Yeah. So like we're kind of predisposed in a way to being that kind of like observational uh, hard drive. Yeah, absolutely, so. man. Cool. Well, yeah. Everyone, and uh, yeah, check out, um, the one thing I wanted to tell you guys today was check out New Eng- at New England Am on Instagram. That's the contest. It's going to be the biggest in New England. We got, like I said, Barley, Dompierre, Westgate as judges. We got 14 and under, 15 and over division. We got the Skate Shop Invite, sponsored by Shake Shack, House of Marley, All I Need. Um, that's November 22nd at Skater's Edge, and it's going to be ridiculous and uh it's gonna be a great time and if you want to come and be part of the skateboard community that's the place to do it and check out everything with worship and the ideal skate shop and uh thanks for listening um and we'll be back soon i'm sure cool thanks jeff